myth is something that's factually untrue and more true than true when it comes to human experience. I've had those experiences like that you're describing at concerts or at a punk rock show. You know what I mean? There's moments that are transcendent in a way that you can't even describe in words because the thing is bigger than what you're actually watching or listening to. Just like you can take a person from India and you can take a person from England and you can perform the same surgery on them because they have the exact same organs. We have the same organs in our psyche. And in every culture that's ever existed, we've created stories that help us learn how to be human and function in the world. Friends, welcome back to another episode of the Cinemartyr Podcast. This is a podcast where we watch movies and then talk about the psychological, spiritual, and mythological themes in those movies. My name is Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my good buddy, Dr. Mike. How you doing, brother? Hey, buddy. Good to be here. Good to see you. It's been a hot second. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit. Uh, the listeners didn't get treated to the joy of me not remembering how to turn any of this <laughs> stuff back on because it's been so long since we recorded. <laughs> I didn't even have GarageBand open. <laughs> yeah. Mike, Mike I thought like, I, is... that I recorded everything on my end. Yeah. Is... <laughs> I was like, it just magically goes through the, the tubes, through the microphone the onto tubes. your hard drive, right? Isn't that, that what happens here? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. It's been, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, it's been uh, a long couple weeks. Yeah, but it feels good to be back in the saddle. Um, yes, sir. Uh, I've missed you. Um, Same. It's been, uh, I know that both of us have been... As always, super busy, but uh, also I think both of us have had uh, new and interesting things popping up and uh, that have been consuming us mentally, I think. Um, to say the least, yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, how how you been doing, man? You know, I'm hanging in. Um, it's been, like I said, I'm a little bit exhausted. I've been doing a lot of extra work. I had a, a friend fly in to visit, which was cool. Brought his nine-year-old son, which was cool. You posted some but pictures it, online that looked, yeah, as always, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, right. New Mexico, gorgeous. We we did some of the most beautiful spots in New Mexico in a real short amount of time. So it's been good. I'm I'm definitely tired, but yeah. but excited to see you and and stoked to see this. And I'm I'm also, you know, with anticipation watching our social media, waiting for the glorious release of the Dune episode, which I'm yeah. sure will be out by the time this drops. Yes. Um. And then I know we've got a few things cooked up for the future, so yeah. I'm I'm excited to be doing some more of these. But yeah, brother, it's been. I feel like I feel like both of us got taken out for like two months solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a wild ride. I'm I'm uh, currently in the middle of trying to design some new pedals for Barn Three, and nice. uh, it's been mentally. I've I just don't even I can't even express like I'm just in the thick of it, you know. And because mm-hmm. I am a uh, like a DIYer and I'm not a trained engineer. Uh, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. So like my yeah. brain has just been on fire. Um, so I've been yeah. very, very overwhelmed, but we're getting close and I'm really excited about the future of the company. So that's, uh, that's been pretty cool to see. Uh, hopefully, right on, hopefully in the next couple months we'll have some new stuff going and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it, but it's very cool. Yeah. But it's stressful and you know, I hear you. Yeah. Um, I hear you. But, um, yep. Yeah, I I got um, some fun new things going on with the living school in the center. That's awesome. Center for Action and Contemplation, but it's been been a lot more work. Also, I'm on the first episode of the next season of Brian McLaren's podcast. Oh, great! So I'll I'll send you a link for that one. Yeah, is that dropping soon, or are we waiting? I feel like yes, but I have no memory of when. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel like 
the second season dropped because I remember listening to it while I was mowing my lawn. So I believe yeah. it was like this springtime last year. Yeah, when, that feels yeah. right. So, so hopefully, that feels I, right. I love that podcast. It's a great podcast. Yeah, same, plug, same. Plug for it's that one. fun to be. Yep. So, and then I, I've actually arranged uh, for him as a big spoiler, but uh, he, he's going to show up on our buddy Eric Schwartz's Evan Cynical podcast, which would be fun. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Mike is doing more work to get big famous people on other people's podcasts than he is to get them on our podcast. <laughs> <It's> actually, <laughs> totally true. <laughs> totally true. You got You're me. Brushing shoulders Guilty with all charged. these famous people and uh, sending them over to Schwartz. It's true. <laughs> I don't even tell them this podcast exists. <laughs> oh, my God. What about... Um, have you, so I, I, I sort of know part of the answer to this question, but yeah. what, what fun, uh, interesting things have you been watching to, reading, listening to, anything? Cool. I, I have been digging into this show called Counterpart that I found on Amazon Prime, and it's J.K. Simmons playing two versions of himself from, you know, uh, one reality and an alternate reality, and it, it they play this, like, Cold War between alternate realities, mm. Um, it takes place in Germany and it, it, it has this like throwback to old school Cold War Berlin Wall espionage stuff. So I've been digging that. That's been fun. And I just discovered the greatest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and it is called Voyage of the Rock Aliens. And it is a musical. It was filmed in 1984 starring Pia Zadora, who I did not know was a person that existed. And it is a musical a la like Rocky Horror or Grease. It mm -hmm. did not release until 1988, and by it came in right at the tail end of like that vibe of music as it was going out of style. And as often happens, as it was going out of style, the greatest expression of it ever came together in this movie. They didn't release it for four years, and I think in 88 it went direct to home video and just died. So most <laughs> people don't even know it exists. It's not even like a cult classic where you're like, oh, I've been meaning to get around to watching that. Yeah. Most people don't even know it was ever made. And just in the last two years, it's like caught on and slowly people are finding out about it. And it has this beautiful retros, retro 80s, 50s vibe. Man, I, I, I hope the next time we record an episode, you tell me that you've seen it. Okay. And you will have basically like discovered fire and rediscovered <laughs> religion and your whole life will probably have a new meaning because for me I just I watched this movie and I realized everything is different now and I don't even know, you know, like how I've survived for 45 years without it. Um except for maybe the movie we're going to talk about today which has been keeping me alive but but man, Voyage of the Rock Aliens, I hope everyone watches it. It's, it's it's not even so bad it's good. It's so weird, it's mind-bending. Okay. And you absolutely need to see it. Okay. Um the one How about you? You, you sent me you sent me that you were watching that and I watched the trailer and the only person that I recognized aside from uh one of the Jacksons is in it, right? Jermaine Jackson, Jermaine Jackson is in one scene in one song and it's amazing. <clears throat> but the it's, other guy It's so good. That I noticed in there, I just looked it up on IMDb, but Michael Berryman, he's the guy with like the weird, like, I, I, I hate to say it this way, but he's bald and he has kind of a weird face. Um, oh, he's he like was, a huge horror movie staple. Yeah, and he was in yeah. that episode of X-Files. Um, yep. Revelations, I think, was the episode um, of X-Files. That's where I recognized him. Yeah, it looks almost like Lurch from the Addams Family, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and he's in, he's in a bunch of other horror movies, none of which I can bring to mind right now. Yeah, yeah he's great in it. Yeah, he's great. He's like in a subplot. There's so many different elements smashed together in that movie. 
it should not work, <laughs> but it, it does. So my friends and I were like debating last night. We're like, was this one, is this a hoax? Is this something someone created recently and right. they're trying to trick us into thinking it's old? Because no one's heard of it. Two, you know, was it good at the time and underappreciated? Or is now the exact moment that it's finally aged into just the right kind of nostalgia? Yeah. Um, and it, it feels like you're watching a bunch of TikToks strung together, but it works. Yeah. Or is it from an alternate reality <laughs> and the timelines have blended and the Mandela yeah. effect is like it, taking place? Well, it's interesting. And like a different world's most popular movie is crossed into our reality. Because I watched the trailer and even the trailer, it almost looks like a modern yep. c- creation of an 80s trailer because they put like, mm-hmm. these digital... It, I wonder if they made a new trailer for it or something because like the the artifacts 100%. in it look like yeah. digital like I could create that in you know uh, After Effects or whatever to make it look yep. like it's from the eighties but it yep. wasn't real you know yep. I don't I don't know how to explain yep. it but no 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 it does there's a scene where there's a um, there's a cut in the movie and there's like um, or I don't remember if it was the tra- somewhere in the movie there's like a, a slight distortion at the bottom of the screen okay. as would happen when you transfer an old VHS copy onto a digital copy. Yeah. But it but it was I forget, my friend explained it. It was it was consistent through multiple shots, which made it look like it was a filter okay. and not an actual thing. So right. I yeah, definitely I would love your your thoughts on it and everyone listening. <clears throat> and uh, you know, uh, maybe maybe we come back and do an episode about it. My favorite movie podcast did an episode about it. Oh, okay. And they were like, we thought this was going to be a disaster. We've never heard yeah. of it. We've been putting it off. And it's like the greatest thing ever. And I, I, you know, I watched the trailer and immediately I have friends that I watch bad movies with on Sunday nights. And we're like, we have to move this to the top of the list. Interesting. And just five minutes into it, not even. Does I was it- like, let's give it five minutes. And if it's bad, we'll turn it off. 60 seconds into it. Uh, my one friend is like, if either of you make me turn this off, I will kill you. <laughs> was it so- when you were watching it? Did it feel like um, there's certain movies that they know they're in on their own joke, like they're playing yeah. a parody of themselves, or there's movies that are just bad and silly? And I mean, the '80s have a very particular vibe yeah. when it comes to like cheesy movies. Yeah. Um, like, did it feel like they were parodying themselves, or was it more like they? were taking themselves seriously and it just ended up being a bad movie. Here's the thing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just yeah, I mean both. Like it's you got it started out the movie started as a um it was supposed to be a send up of B movies. Yeah. And then they looked at the script and they were like, "Oh, this might be really fun." And then they decided to turn it into a musical and I, you know, we'll save it for if we do an episode about yeah. it, but like it's wild. Yeah. Okay. It's absolutely wild. <clears throat> That's interesting. Yeah. Right, I'll, I'll, where did you watch it? Amazon Prime has it. You can watch the entire thing for free on YouTube. Okay. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Highly if recommend. I, if I can find myself a free two hours to watch. A well, and, and you know what? 80s. It might actually be better digested in, in chunks. <laughs> okay. So there's, there's like a song every five minutes. So even yeah. if you just watch like a couple numbers at a time. And there's uh, there's a robot in it who's voiced by Optimus Prime, Peter Cullen. Oh like, wow! I can't, I can't even. I don't even know. Right? I don't even know what to say. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. How about you, man? Anything new and cool? Not really. Uh, the only thing that we're watching, Laura and I have both been a little bit overwhelmed. She just actually just got a new job that she's going to be starting oh, soon, so yeah. she's been consumed. They put her through seven interviews to get this oh, job. Oh my god! 
Yeah, and she had to travel. And you're not Chicago. getting paid yet at that point. That's right. the fun part. She had to travel to Chicago for one interview and then to New York for the other interview, but she got the job, so hallelujah, you know. Um, right on. She, she's super stoked for that. But Amazing. both of us have been so like overwhelmed with stuff that like we haven't really been watching much, but we needed yeah. a new TV show to watch. Um, you know, every, on the nights where we are together, <laughs> we, we like to watch like one or two episodes or something. Yeah. And so she had never watched Breaking Bad. Oh, so wow. We just started, My old I started grounds. rewatching Breaking Bad and I was like, right oh, on. there's uh, where Mike lives. And uh, yeah. I totally forgot. No, I didn't forget, but I didn't put two and two together that you in our one episode said, oh, it was in the Back to the Future episode. You said yep. about the locations that yep. your your friend lives in the neighborhood yep. of Jesse Pinkman's house. And then the yep. episode of uh, when Walter White blows up uh, Tuco's yeah. apartment. That's my favorite that's coffee, coffee shop. shop. Yep. <laughs> so I'm there like three episode. times a week. Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, yeah, I see. I see the Breaking Bad tour bus go by often. It's like a giant uh, Winnebago, and yeah. they've turned it into like a tour bus. And often, when I'm sitting at the coffee shop, you see them like staring and taking pictures. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, a, a lot of a lot of locations that are especially in the first two or three seasons are literally like right in sort of my neighborhood. That's great. Walking distance for me. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot how good that. I mean, I knew it was a great show, but like rewatching it, like I within the first two episodes, I was like, oh no, I was like, I, f I remember what happens in the next episode. I was like, and then I was like, oh crap, I forgot about that character and this character. Yeah. And like, then you're like, oh my gosh, this show, like it's yeah. so good, so good. It really is very good. It um, really is very good. We've been watching that. I've been watching. I have a. Usually, I need something to like wind down at the end of the night. Yep. So I always watch something old, and oh, I nice. I had just worked through my way through Cheers for like the third time in the past five years. Yeah. And so it auto, Hulu sent me right into Frasier. So now I'm on like mm. season three of Frasier, uh, which is great. It's uh, Frasier's amazing. brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'm shows. still not done. Believe it or not, I'm still not done rewatching X Files. That was going to be my next question. Where are you in the X Files? <laughs> I think right I'm now? on season. What's the last season? I mean, nine I, is unwatchable, so, but it's the last season. Right. And then that's so I, But there's no David Duchovny at all in nine. He's in half of eight and none of nine. Right. I'm on eight right now. So eight okay. is the one where he's like in and out, right? Yes. I am one of the defenders of season eight. I think season eight is a masterpiece. A lot of people don't feel that way. I think. I think with what they had to deal with, which was him coming back to the studio and being like, I'll be in half the episodes this season. I think what they turned that into was amazing Okay, um, for what it was. I love season eight. I love season eight. Um, I also have like lots of nostalgia vibes because that's when a bunch of us would get together. Season mm. eight, a bunch of us rotated through houses and got together to watch it every Sunday night. Okay, um, But season nine for me is an abomination. So, oh, and you still got to watch the, the reunion seasons too, or the revival seasons. There's two seasons after nine. Yeah, which I, I've definitely watched both of those the first time yeah. through, but I, yeah, I'm going to rewatch them. When yeah, I, when well, back, that's, that's our Mandela effect conversation. Always yeah. goes back to that one episode, which is, I think, one of the best of the entire series. <laughs> yeah. Right um, yeah, but that's about it. Nothing too cool. Extreme. I'm trying to think of any movies that we watched that I actually liked. Um, the new, uh, the, the, uh, is it called the Batman? The new Batman movie is extraordinary. By the way, I was, you get a chance. We were. It's I was trying good. the other night. We were the other day. We were toying around with going out to the movies to watch it, but we yeah. didn't make it out. So that's yeah. on my list. I, I saw the the new Spider Man and the new Batman. I saw back to back, and they're both two of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. So yeah, highly my recommend. Went both. and saw Spider Man without me. Who went and saw without you? My girlfriend. She oh, went and saw oh, it with her friend man. Amanda, and I was like, wow. I found out. I knew they were going out on like a you know friend. They were hanging out. Yeah, and and then I was, she got back. And I was like, "Oh, what movie did you go see?" She's like, "Spider Man." I'm like, "What?" 
I was like, I don't really care about movies, but I've heard that that one's really good. It is really Or I don't good. really care about MCU movies, I should say, and I've heard that that one's really good. Yeah, and, so, and you, <laughs> don't, you don't need to know a lot about the MCU to watch this movie and enjoy right. it, ironically enough. Right, yeah. So I might have to go see that one solo. But. That's fun. I'd offer to go with you, buddy, but for the, <laughs> you know, what is it, 2,000 miles between us. Yeah, it's a bit of a hike. Bit of a hike. Yeah, and the, and the do we ever, uh, like, uh, I know we'll pivot to the movie in a second, but do we ever talk about the fact the last trip home which was the last oh episode we recorded, nearly killed me because I got COVID. Yes. And <laughs> oh I think we God. even joked about it in, I don't yeah. know if it was in our episode, but it might've been in Eric's episode yeah. that we joked that we were giving each other COVID. And it's, and no, I was like, I'm totally going home with COVID. And it's somehow yeah. a miracle that not a, not a, now Garrett, sorry, Eric had just gotten over COVID a couple of weeks yeah. prior. So he probably had a ton of antibodies, but it's a miracle that I didn't get it because I was sitting a foot away from you for yeah. five hours well, maybe, straight. <laughs> maybe Schwartz gave it to me. There's a there's a there's Ooh, a working theory. Yep. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks a lot, Evan <laughs> Cynical. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Yeah. Well, last so, episode we did Back to the Future, your all time favorite movie. Yep. And I think uh, we're we're drifting into my all time favorite movie, or at least my all time favorite franchise. Franchise. Yeah. Definitely not your favorite Pretty movie, easy. right? I think you know it. It changes, okay. Um, depending on the mood that I'm in throughout the season of my life, like uh, the Star Wars franchise has has been my favorite. Um, the <clears throat> the last one, the whatever it was, Rise of Skywalker, sort of broke my heart, and I washed out of it for a while. Mm. So, um, and then the Mandalorian sucked me back in. Thank God. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, when I was a kid, gosh, Return of the Jedi was my favorite. Okay. Um, as an adult, Empire Strikes Back is probably my favorite. Right. Yeah, um, that makes but sense. Star Wars came out the year I was born, man. So, mm. so, like, I grew up on this movie. Yeah. So there was there was a point where this was my favorite one because Empire Strikes Back didn't even exist yet. That's <laughs> true. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I remember like. Swinging on the swings as a little kid with mm. like the neighbor, my dad would talk about us just like quoting Star Wars lines yep. incessantly. We would just play through the lines in the movie, mm. you know. And my dad always talk about us being on the swings, going, "Luke, you're right." I'm like, "I got a little kid <laughs> cooked, but I'm okay." And we would just just That's like roll funny. through the scene. Oh man, I love funny. It so I have much. I have a memory of that with my friend Joe uh, from when I was a little little kid. We we did yeah. that with. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And we would each pick whatever, four or five characters. And yeah. I remember doing it for some reason in my parents' basement, which was like yeah. this old farmhouse, disgusting, yeah. dirty basement. And we would yeah. act out the entire movie from beginning yeah. to end, <laughs> doing all the voices and the characters. What a, oh man. Oh my memory. gosh. <laughs> it's so great. And I, I think what's funny too is like how, you know, you see things differently as an adult. So we would always right. play Star Wars and there'd be a couple of us and you're like, Who's, who gets to be what character? Right. And you always, of course you wanted to be Luke Skywalker, right? Because mm -hmm. he's the hero and he's the best character. And if you were like, you know, lucky and you didn't get to be Luke, your consolation prize was getting to be Han. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, there's always someone more like, you have to be Princess Leia. And you know, my little brother would be like, mama, ma. you know. The funny thing, though, is now as an adult, like if you had to be one Star Wars character, who would you be? First movie, first movie. Oh, boy, first movie. If I had to be one Star Wars character, who would I be? Hmm. I would say, boy, oh, boy, maybe... Maybe Obi-Wan. Yeah. Just because he's so... Uh, Dude, he's the best. 
He's so good in this. I mean, oh a, my god, a like he's it's the acted best. so well. Yeah, but also the character is so pure and yes. like you actually believe in him. Yep. Um, and you know his uh, yeah his whole story is just so good. Oh my god! Especially yeah. you know in hindsight when you and I and it's it's interesting. I'm sure we'll get into this, but it's oh, very interesting it, to yeah. think about back then before all the prequels, before everything else oh. that has come out. Yep. And, I, and I'm really interested to see what it's going to feel like after the new Obi-Wan series comes yep. out. Yep. How did it feel watching that for the first time back yeah. in the day before you knew about the prequels, before yeah. you knew his relationship All to Darth mystery. Vader? You know yeah. what I mean? And now it changes. And it's funny, and we'll definitely get into this, because even now my watching of this movie is so inexorably linked to all the other stuff that's yeah. gone on and not just yep. the movies. Yep. One of the big things that I found in this movie and in, in watching it this time, <laughs> this yep. is so dumb, but have you watched the uh, Family Guy um, no. versions of the Star Wars trilogy? Um, no, I have, but it's been years. Okay. I have actually, but only one time. So they make fun of some of the, I mean, some of the yeah. classic, classic sort of like yeah. silly parts of the movies. They knock it out in like 25 minutes to it's extraordinary. Right. And now when I watch the movie, there's certain parts of the movie when I was watching yeah. it the other last night that it's like, oh yeah, that's that's really dumb. <laughs> like, you I, know what I mean? There's certain parts that Family Guy made fun oh of. Oh my god! Um, I um I love. He's not in this one, but I love the character of the Emperor. Mm -hmm. I just think he's the best. Every time he's on screen, it's amazing. And the Emperor, the version of the Emperor and the robot chicken, all the Star Wars specials, like he is my favorite character. And so yeah, the Emperor in my mind is also shaped by how they do his character right. in Robot Chicken. Right. <laughs> it's just like. So spectacular! Which is oh my a funny God. thing about movies, and I mean any art really, is how it yeah. changes over a lifetime, yeah. and, and how it yeah. changes as culture sort of influences yeah. what's <laughs> yeah what's being said well, about it. It's so true, and again, that thing of like um, what a really really good movie, and this is true. I was just talking to someone else about a really really good book, right? Because there's a few books that I've read that just you know, uh, one of my teachers says every now and then there's a book, it just rings your bell mm -hmm. or you feel like the author gets you and he's right. saying something out loud that you feel uh, or she is saying something out loud that you feel. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, every time you go back to it, it's like reading it for the first time because you're different. Mm -hmm. And that's the way these movies are. Yeah. I feel that way about Shawshank. I feel that way mm -hmm. about, yeah. um, you know, some of my favorites. And I definitely feel that way about Star Wars. Every time I watch it, it's different. So I yeah. said, you know, Rise of Skywalker... Absolutely broke my heart. We're not going to get into that. Um, so I took a, a big step back, and that ended up being great because when I sat down to watch this movie for for this episode, it was one of my favorite viewings ever. Mm. Like there was just, it was so much fun, and I saw it in such a different light. And so, like again, for me, we're definitely going to get into this with the Obi Wan Kenobi show coming out. Um, that got me thinking, but then also just like trying to remember, yeah, being a kid before all the other stuff. Or putting myself in the seat as an audience member who has nothing, a total blank slate, and you're watching this movie for the first time and wondering, why did it capture the cultural zeitgeist the way that it did? Why did it blow up and become, right. you know, one of the biggest movies of the 20th century? And I think I think that character is definitely a huge part of it. Obi-Wan Kenobi's character is amazing. And given the choice, this is the funny thing, given the choice of a character be, it would be him, or I would totally pick Han Solo. Han Solo is not a constellation prize. He's effing fantastic yeah uh, i would pick him over luke skywalker anytime i think i think that the the you know that the reason that the prequels and the and the sequels trilogy never quite measured up to the original is because they were missing sort of a han solo character that mm. sort of sarcastic character who 
who helps you like with a wink uh, and, and a quip helps mm. you sort of suspend disbelief and be like, yeah, I can get into this story about space wizards as long as we're like throwing a joke here and there. Right. And we're like, this is a little I silly, right? about that. Yeah. I'm totally right. Yep. Cause, and, yep. And I, and I want to say, I mean, not up front because we're 25 minutes into this already, but. Oh yeah, <clears throat> fair enough. <laughs> I love Star Wars, but I'm also not a super fan the way you are. You know what yep. I mean? So yep. I've seen these movies probably over my lifetime that the original trilogy mm-hmm. I've probably seen maybe, I'm going to say a dozen times each, whatever. Fair enough. Pre- That's pre- a lot. Prequels, I've probably seen, I think, legitimately, I think I saw them one time each. I saw them in the That's theater fair. one time, and then I think I bought the DVDs and watched them one time on, on the DVDs. And then everything else, I think I've watched one time through. Nah. And I'm going to say right up front that I don't remember loving the prequels, but I yeah. remember I remember being annoyed just, just about like anybody else, you know? Um, yeah. But the, the newer movies... I know there's, they've gotten a lot of flack for them. Sure. But I don't mind them so much. And I think it's because yeah. I'm not as deep as some like you yeah. or somebody else because I yeah. just, I love them and I love the world that they've created. Yeah. And I don't mind like any inconsistencies because I don't know all the intricacies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, I actually, I actually really like two of the three new, okay. new Star Wars movies. Yeah. Conversation it, for another day, but um, yeah. I just don't like the last one. The last one. Which I is the last, is that the of, one with the, the, the only image I remember is that with, um, when they're on the planet with the red sand. Or the, that's the second one. Okay. That's, that's the last right. Jedi. Uh, the Rise of okay. Skywalker is one when the Emperor comes back. Oh, right, and, right, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's kind of, and I was like prepared. I was like, ah, whatever. It just needs to be not terrible. And that yeah. was terrible. So, but again, <laughs> doesn't matter. That's nerd talk. Star Wars just, was like the defining movie for a generation. Again, right. came out the year I was born. Yep. Um, I have never lived in a world without Star Wars. Mm. And probably, and you know, legitimately had as much of an influence on shaping my worldview as like the Bible. <laughs> and I am I am someone who grew up in a family of pastors right. and spent more time in church than anywhere else growing up in my formative years. Yep. And I'm gonna and, and also though, my dad loved Star Wars. Oh wow. Okay. Oh my god, he loved it. Yeah. There, there was never any you know, I remember there was a point where there was sort of this um we grew up, we had the figures, we we it was a huge part of our world. And then um, there was a, a in the sort of crazy evangelical world that we lived in. Yes, I love I have, it. I, I love the one, action two, figures. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have ten little figures in front of me, and I have three ships hanging from my ceiling right now. I love it. I have you can't. <laughs> I have them in the next room, but I, I have them as well. Um, my AT, there was a my ATATs over in the other room, and my oh Rancors my in the other room too. I I built a bunch of Lego ones, and then I think I gave them away uh-huh. uh, when I moved out here. Um, <laughs> But I, I, there was a book that came out in the 80s, and it was called Turmoil in the Toy Box. I have since – I bought a copy recently just as like oh, a no. fun, ironic souvenir. But it's basically like all the toys that your kids play with are evil, and the devil's going to get you because He-Man, <laughs> the Smurfs, and everything else. And so when that came out, I remember all my He-Man toys went in the garbage. Mm. We stopped watching the Smurfs, which was sucked because we would do that with my dad every Sunday, every Saturday because um, everything was bad. And the funny thing is I realized, <sighs> did not know this – until I fetched a copy of the book. The book also talks about Star Wars, but wow. Star Wars was virtually untouched. It's like it's like it got to that part, and my parents were like, nope, no way. That's wow. a bridge too far. Like, you can't take away our Star Wars. Just, man, I you know, I loved it. I had the toys. My friend Michael Tafaro, who lived up the street from me, 
had 10 times as many Star Wars toys yeah. as I did. He had an amazing Star Wars collection. Uh, and I just like, dude, just, just such a cool yeah. part of my reality. My, I, I friend, loved it. Uh, I've mentioned him on the podcast, uh, an older friend of mine from my old church. Uh, his name's Tim. And he's the guy that sort of got me into uh, movies and toys and stuff like that. And he, when we were younger, had an amazing Star Wars collection. So he was totally like prime age when, you know, Star yeah. Wars came out. He was like a teenager when Star Wars came out. Yep. Um, and I can remember going up into his bedroom, you know, and he had like the Ewok village and he had all the, yeah. he's the reason that I hang my ships from the ceiling because he yep. had all the ships hanging from the ceiling. And now as an adult, he's been collecting his whole life. <laughs> yep. He literally has boxes and boxes and boxes, like yeah. floor to ceiling of a giant yeah. basement. And he's got like Han Solo frozen in carbonite, which is one of the most rare Star Wars toys out there in the yep. field, in the package, yep. you know? So he's like, and like. That's what got me into collecting toys. And Star Wars was one of those things that mm -hmm. the toys were so, so, so good. In yeah. fact, I can remember for years searching back in the day before eBay, before anything, you'd have yeah. to go to flea markets to find this stuff. And I remember trying to find the Rancor because I wanted the Rancor so badly. Yeah, that's a cool toy, man. And I finally I finally got it years later. I think I got it on mm -hmm. eBay. But um, Anyway, but I can remember for years trying to find that that toy, you yeah. know what I mean? Because they're so good. Like, there's yeah. so many of them. Yeah. And, it, and it, I can't imagine being like a teenager at that point yeah. when the movie came out and having yeah. access to all those toys, you know what I mean? Yeah. It must have been a very interesting um, experience. Well, and it's also like, it's sort of made George Lucas. I don't know the details. I, I don't, I didn't research them, so I don't have them in front of me. But there was something where he made a deal with the studio right. where he did something no one had really done before, where he took a percentage of the merchandising instead of- A uh, higher salary. Yes. Yeah. And then the toys blew, blew up. up. Yeah. They blew up. Yep. Crazy blew up. Um, And like- no one could have guessed, right? And he made so much money. Right. And so then the, the joke was that, you know, that uh, a, a big factor in Empire Strikes Back and especially Return of the Jedi was like, what what toys can we throw into this movie? But I'm here for it because I grew up with those toys. Right. Totally. You know, um, and, and it's so funny for me, like I think about Star Wars has always come at just the right time for me. Mm. The first movie came out the year I was born. Mm hmm um empire strikes back came out i don't know 84 85 so i was probably like seven ish something right. like that then then i like got older kind of you know got into girls and and other things and sort of forgot about it and then right when i was um a when I, when I started college, yeah. they released them on VHS. They did the original TX, THX, they remastered the sound, and they released them on VHS somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And I remember sort of suddenly it was cool again. Because, you know, you go away to school and, like, all the things that, that you, when you're you're like, gosh, mom, I don't want to feel like a little kid. Then you're like, nah, whatever, this is cool. <laughs> like, And I remember having, uh, there was, like, a lounge I'm at like a community college and there was right. a lounge with a TV and a VCR and friends and I just decided to start hosting um, movie days. That's great. And so I remember we just decided to do the Star Wars trilogy one time. We just popped it in the VCR, didn't say anything. And then sure enough, for the next three days, there was like dozens and dozens That's of people. Awesome. People just came out of nowhere to sit down. I was like, oh my God, Star Wars. Yeah. And then um, they did the re-release where they re-released the movies in the theater and I, I, I to this day, will say that possibly my favorite movie-going experience of all time and probably one of my best 
five in-person experiences period of just being a human gathered with other wow. humans was when they re-released Star Wars in the theater. Wow. Because it was the first time I saw this one, A New Hope, on a big screen. Right. And that right. was the whole thing. They marketed it that way. They're yep. like, an entire generation has only ever seen Star Wars on a television. Right. And everybody was so excited. I remember the day that it came out, I got in line at seven o'clock in the morning so that when the box office opened at 11, I could buy tickets. Mm. I was in a huge line. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of us that switched hit throughout the day. <laughs> I remember I skipped all my classes that day and, and, and my philosophy professor asked a classmate of mine, he's like, where's Mike? Cause he was taking attendance and he goes, uh, he's standing in line to get tickets for star Wars. And he goes, I think that counts as a philosophy class present, <laughs> which is like the greatest, like he was, it was That's so great. cool. Um, and then I remember like standing in line to get good seats, going into the movie theater and everybody was dressed up. Mm. Like people had costumes on. People brought toys. They brought yeah. like their favorite Star Wars toy with them. Yeah. And it was Ryan. I've I have been a student of religion my entire life. I have attended temples and services and gatherings and rallies and, and everything you can imagine. Maybe the most goodwill I've ever felt was yeah. in that movie theater. People right. were so excited. Yeah. And I remember like literally just you were talking to strangers. I remember at one point turning around and there was a guy like four rows behind me and he had a toy. I don't remember what it was, but it was one that I always wanted and I'd never seen in person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, hey dude, can I see that? And he's like, oh my God, yeah. And he passed it wow. like three rows down, person to person to person passed it. I checked it out and like sent it back to him and, Everyone was your best friend. Yep. Everyone was so stoked. Yep. And we yelled and cheered so much <laughs> in the movie. And it was the best time. Yeah. And I was like, God, we love this movie. Right. Like Star Wars means so much to so many people, especially back then. Especially yep. back then. Totally. Well, that's the thing. And maybe we'll get into this later. But that is the funny thing about things that are this big or this epic, which many different types of art forms do which is it it is it is a religious experience i think mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i've had those experiences like that you're describing i will totally um, agree with that at at concerts or at a punk rock mm-hmm. show you know what i mean yep. there's moments that are transcendent in a way yep. that you can't even describe in words yep. um because the thing is bigger than what you're actually watching or listening to it's yep, it's the absolutely. it's the collective experience which is what yes. what a lot of people find beautiful about religion is that transcendent yep. thing that you can't really explain which yep. which is the coming together of people and yep. in a unified way yeah and we'll i'm sure in a, it, when we when we get through the basics of the movie we'll talk about jo- we have to talk about Joseph Campbell at some point you can't right. not talk about Joseph right. Campbell when you talk about Star Wars you got to talk about the hero with a thousand faces but the idea that it it, it takes something this is the whole thing of symbolic thinking is taking something that's fundamentally human that is something that most people can relate to in mm-hmm. some way and putting it in a format that lets us touch it, right? right. And this is what I think good good fantasy and good science fiction does mm. that good mythology and good religion does is you take something that's eminently relatable mm. and you put it in a in a fantastical container to make it safe. Mm, right yeah and then it it cheats around some of our like cultural and psychological barriers and it lets us see and feel something that is real to us so i'm watching a movie about space wizards in a civil war (laughs) you know like it's the most silly thing and yet there's something in that movie that touches something 
fundamentally human right. in me, in my yeah. psyche, in my heart, in my reality. And it touches you and it touches other people. And what it does is it brings us together right. around the barriers that usually keep us apart. And I totally, you know, good religion does that. Good mythology does that. Good music does that. Right. Good stories do that. No, I agree. Um, something we didn't do. Do you have yeah. a favorite scene from the first okay, one? So, so we have been talking about favorite <laughs> scenes. I have like a hundred. Yeah. And so my favorite scene this time uh, was totally Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Which is funny because like when Darth Vader shows up on screen, holy shit, what an entrance, right? Yeah. But, but when Obi-Wan shows up for the first time, that whole sequence, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Obi-Wan. Like, <laughs> that's a name I've not heard. Like that, yeah. the music and the and the the whole vibe they strike with the appearance of his character. And then when he explains what the force is to Luke. Um mm. and just like I'm like, my God, he put that idea out into the public consciousness and it changed <laughs> the way people think about reality. Yeah. Um and, and it, I forget how he describes it, an energy field created by all living things that that surrounds us and binds the galaxy together. Right. Uh, I, I get that mixed up with how Yoda describes it in the second one, but I think that's got to be my, mm. or, or for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and galaxy, uh, uh, peace and justice in the old Republic before <laughs> the dark times, before the Empire. Like, I just yeah. love it. That's probably my favorite this time around. How about you? Um, yeah, I, I have two. They're small, but but yeah. the, the two that, that struck me this time was when Luke is in the trench and uh, Darth Vader's coming up behind him, and yeah. uh, and uh, Han comes in and and gets the and shoots the the oh, other guy. Great scene, and he's just like so excited, and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, Han. Yeah, um, like that is, I mean, obviously, like it's on purpose. Yeah. It's a great scene. Yeah, um, and then the other one that's really small, but like it's just, I, it's more the editing that I liked mm -hmm. was. Um, right after that, as the the, mm -hmm. the as the torpedoes go in the shoot mm -hmm. or whatever and they're making all those cuts to all the guys working the levers and then yeah. they they cut to and that great sound dun 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 or whatever it is yeah. the, that that soundtrack is so good in that scene but then like it's so it's so quick and so subtle mm -hmm. but i don't know that and you're gonna have to help me here that i don't know the guy's name but the guy with the really gaunt face the, the oh my god peter cushing the, governor tarkin amazing yeah. amazing but they cut to him for like a half a second and he's just yep. so like stoically confident because mm -hmm. he's like we're we're gonna fuck these guys up you yep. know what i mean and then yep. he blows up and it's like yep. the editing of that is so well done oh my god <laughs> it's just so good it's so you know they they say um that star wars was a movie that was notoriously saved in the editing room mm. they say there were like cuts of this movie that were dumb they were like slapstick it was it was not gonna work and uh and then they just cut it to be tighter yeah. And they say when they cut it to be tighter and they threw the soundtrack over it, it became a whole different movie. Well, I can imagine, because even if you take, so that thing that you sent me the other night, that fan edit or whatever the, yeah. uh, of, of the battle between Obi-Wan and, and Darth. That oh, is, yeah, which we should, we should everybody should check out. I, I forget what it's called. I'll look it up on my phone. But yeah, they did a really fantastic, uh, like sort of jazzed up fight scene between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan for the movie. And it looks, it looks of a piece of the film, right? I mean, it's... It's amazing. I mean, there's, there's no way it's done so well, but there's oh, no yeah. way you could actually insert that into the movie because the pacing is so dramatically different from the rest of the movie. Yes. Um, it's, it's a modern pacing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, that, and that's the interesting thing about those, that 
probably the, I, I haven't watched the whole trilogy in a while, but at least this first movie is you can tell like the pacing is just so, so, yep. so different from what we're used to. And that scene is a perfect example. And I can imagine a world where if that fight scene is as sort of, I hate to say yep. it, lackluster as it is, you know what I mean? In the final edit, I can imagine a world where that movie was kind of boring. You know what I mean? Because there are like, the pacing of it is slower than what, at least what we're used to nowadays. You know what I mean? It's it's funny too, because um, they say that Star Wars and Jaws were the two movies that permanently changed cinema and invented the blockbuster mm-hmm. because the pacing of both films was so fast Interesting. compared to the films of the time. And yet, when you watch both movies now, they feel slow. Right. Right? And that's just Try like- to show a kid who's never seen Star Wars, Star Wars before, and they're going to get bored. Right. Um, but I've heard, I've heard film critics say, you know, Star Wars and Jaws came along and Star Wars especially was like, something happens, something happens, something happens, something happens, something happens. Right. Um, and our attention span now, we so acclimated to things happening so quickly that that movie I told you about Voyage of the Rock Aliens, I think part of the reason no one's ever heard of it is because the pace would not have worked at the time that it came out. Okay. And I think the reason that it's so great now, it's like I said, it's like a series of TikToks strung together, is okay. it moves so fast. Yeah. So it has this beautiful 80s, 50s nostalgia vibe, but told in a pace that's much more of a piece with the moment okay. in time that we are right now. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed this movie, this go around, I enjoyed settling into the ironically then very fast and now very slow pace of, of Star Wars. It felt to me like I was watching like a real cinematic masterpiece. Oh yeah, no, it was great. I got to say and then that would um watching it this time again. I haven't watched it nearly as many times as you have. Um and it's probably been, I mean, a solid, I mean, you know, maybe a decade since I've watched this one, honestly. Like realistically, yeah. it's been a long time since I've watched this one. Um but it was great, man. Watching this was so it was so it feels like meat and potatoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's such a, um, aside from my modern take on it after, you know, watching it through the lens of, after seeing like the family guy parodies, sure. and robot yeah, chicken parodies, a million parodies right? there, there's a, there's a couple scenes where you're just like, Oh yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Like that, yeah. you know, they do that in the movie, like the scene where I think they, um, uh, where, uh, 3PO and, um, and R2-D2 uh, jettison out in the escape pod, yeah. right? And they're like, oh, and they don't there's, shoot no, it. there's no life form. And Family Guy does a great like, parody. Yeah. Of that. I forget what they say, but they're they just like, like... what, do lasers cost money now? Yeah, yeah exactly. it's fantastic. <laughs> there's so many parts in it that I'm just like, oh, that is kind of silly that I probably yeah. would have never thought of before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I will say, like, watching it, I just settled in, I sat down on the couch, and I was just like, this feels... Right. You know what I mean? There's there's yeah. there's not much you can really pick apart in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and it and it and it it's so funny because like having grown up with it and then gone back and learned what influenced it, there's also such a fun mishmash of genre. Like it's kind of like a western in space. Right. I'm sure you know like the R2 and C3PO stories, like drawn from Hidden Fortress, which is a Kurosawa samurai film. Um, it, it has like this, like old school fighter plane feel when they're doing the right. dog fights. It's, it's yep. just, oh God, there's so much I love about this movie. Yeah. Um, but it does. And, and the other thing is, you know, you have the force. So right, even right. the parts of the story that feel a little forced, you're like, oh, it's the force, man. It's fate. Right. That's what happens. Right. Yeah. I will say, and I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but maybe it has to do with like what you said with Han is that this is one of those movies where you, it's not hard to suspend disbelief. Right. 
it it it's you know some fantasy and sci-fi it feels a little too surreal to to yeah to let yourself dive in. But for yep. whatever reason, and, and I haven't really thought about this too much, but it's, it's striking me right now, it feels like, you know, Star Wars could be another part of the universe. You know what I mean? Like, it, it feels like it could be real. Yeah, it's I, two things I hear people talk about with that, and I don't know, I don't know, you know, I'm sure there's a million things. One is people talk about the sort of, like, used future right. that they came oh, up with, which oh is to make God. everything look old. Right. And make everything look aged and like they would bang things around and throw dirt on them. So make it feel lived in. Right. right. Um, and then the other thing is the genius of literally one phrase right at the beginning of the movie a long time ago in a galaxy far, yeah. far away. You don't know to imagine this is the future. This is a fairy tale. Um, or yeah. it's just somewhere else. Why right. not? Anywhere yeah. else in the galaxy. It's absolutely brilliant and it's yeah. it's this one tiny little grace note right at the fr- front that like sort of puts your mind at ease in a way yeah. yeah right you're not like how do we get from here to there nope doesn't matter somewhere else right somewhere else a long time no, ago. And, and, and that's one of the things to me about like a good sci-fi fantasy movie or whatever yeah. is when you can suspend your disbelief and not even Think about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're thinking about yep. like how does this timeline work or how does this yep. spaceship fly or that doesn't add yep. up, yep. it I, it loses me. And this yep. I don't I don't feel that in. What yeah. That? Uh uh oh uh, sorry. My I think the time just caused everything on my screen to switch from white to black. Oh. You know, it shifted into into evening mode, but I didn't realize what was happening at okay. first, and I thought you everything really we were doing look. was crashing simultaneously. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening?" Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It, it there is something about suspending disbelief. I love. Um, I never really got into that '70s show, mm-hmm. but I know that it was you know a sitcom set in the '70s, and right. they uh, the one character is a huge Star Wars fan, like. In the movie, you get to a point where he goes to see Star Wars, and then for the rest of the show, he references Star Wars constantly. And I have seen the episode where Star Wars comes out, and what's so much fun about it is every single character, you see them go to see it, and they all fall in love with it for different reasons, Mm. including the dad, who's like this stalwart, asshole, grumpy old man, and he's like, this is going to be so stupid, and then you see him, and he's like, whoa, and it kind of like just wins everyone over, and I think that's sort of the the thing about it, is it was just such a cultural phenomenon, it blew up so big, and so many different type of people like it for so many different reasons. Yeah. And I do want to comment back to what you just said about the 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 used, lived-in world that they created. Yes. Because it is such an amazing aesthetic. And it's my guess is it's mostly probably practical because they didn't have a huge, huge budget for this. Um, and it's easier to make things look old than it is to make things look shiny and new. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And but it yeah. makes sense also in the world that they're creating because these are yeah. you know as far as most of the used lived in stuff is on the the side of the rebels right right um, yeah absolutely and it makes sense because these these are a scrappy bunch of folks that don't have yep. access to lots of money and whatever yep. and but but it is so I was I was really looking hard this time at the props and the um, like how they built things um, mm-hmm. and you're totally right like the the grimy dirty uh, aesthetic. Is mm-hmm. so beautiful, and also that how do I word it? There's the there's a chunky nature to the aesthetic of yeah. everything. It's it's almost like a retro. I think even of the time, it would have been almost like a retro feel. You know what I mean? Um, 
as in opposition to, I believe, in the prequels, things got a lot more shiny. Like some of the ships yeah. were very chrome, Sh- and, shiny and, and smooth, and and rounded curves, and yep, and uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's not quite as, I don't know. It feels well, not the same. Yeah, and I think I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna go straight mythology on this. I think uh, what makes a good fantasy story, what makes a good sci-fi story, what makes a good myth is that it's not going for literalism. It's going for something that feels real. Right. Right? Like a good a good myth is something that's factually untrue and more true than true when it comes to human experience. Yeah. And so for them, like they're not sitting around going, how does the science of this work? Right, right. They're going... How do, how do we get people to know how this feels? So make the ships look old. Right. No one cares about the fact that they're flying like they're airplanes right. in the <laughs> vacuum of space where that right. clearly wouldn't happen. Like, who cares? Right, right. Because right? you can you you know what it feels like. It right. feels like that. Yeah. Um. And I, and I dig that. That, yeah, are those old broken down things. It feels that way. They're dirty. They're rusty. It feels like something you can relate to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I dig that a lot. And it, it also, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, it, it also feels like the, the, from stories I've heard, it also feels like sort of the nature of the making of the movie, like a little bit scrappy, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think a lot of people, I think I even read a story where George Lucas, like, sort of assumed that it was going to be a flop. Um, oh, you know, interesting. Um, and there, there's a couple parts where, like, I was, I was noticing some of the, uh, like, the set design and then even the yeah. one thing that stuck out to me this time watching it was Darth Vader's helmet in this on, a, on when it's when you're close up you can see literally the paint lines on it like with a yeah. brush you can see oh, yeah. like the like later ver- like in the newer movies it's oh, yeah. it's precise like there's no yep. you know what i mean it's perfect but like it it was a little scrappier you know what i mean like and i think that like works like i've always said like the the thing that i loved about star wars as a kid was the puppets the 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 yeah. lived in creatures yep. and and yep. even though and this is a this is a miracle of like I, I mean we could go down a rabbit hole about this but this is like the difference between bad CGI yeah and real world puppets in in yeah. this instance yeah. I've always said and I said this for years that like those crappy crappy puppets when oh they're God. in the cantina, feels cantina so scene. much more real to me Dude. than anything they did in the prequels with Jar Jar oh. or any of the other special yeah. effects that they did. Just because they're puppets. And even though I knew they were puppets, I could still suspend disbelief. Dude, it still holds up. That scene is awesome. Yeah. The cantina scene is awesome. You feel like you're at a crossroads and like there's a billion kinds of aliens there. It's so, so great. Uh, still some of the coolest creature designs I've ever seen. And yeah. some of them are silly and some of them are dumb and some of them are yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Some of them are a little over the top, but yeah, but it, but it works because again, it's going for the feel of it. Right. Right. You feel like, especially you see it through the eyes of Luke, you feel like he's like completely out of his element. Yeah. Totally. Right. And then, and then, you know, the one guy's picking on him. Uh, and then what's uh, the other thing that's great about it is you feel like Ben is completely in his element. Oh yeah. Right? He's like so cool and like right. totally not rattled at all. Totally yeah. wrecks that dude with his lightsaber at that scene. Like it's just I love that scene. Which again it's is another so is another point where now that we know what we know, I'm sure had you seen that at the time, you would have thought, okay, this is some old guy, whatever. Yeah. 
but now we know like everything he's been through. So of course, yeah. like that's nothing to him. Like, of yep. course, <laughs> like no. it's not a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. But, but even then you're like, oh man, this guy's seen some things. Wow. Right, right, like right. that. Yeah. It, it really, really, really tells some things. Well, the one well thing what do you think? Go ahead. I, I was going to say the one thing that I do think that is a shame is that, so I watched it on Disney plus mm-hmm. and I do think it's a shame that the, that the version that we have to watch is the version with the Agreed. what the what would would that have been the mid nineties edits that they added? Yeah, um, yeah. When they did the theatrical re release, George Lucas decided to do a special edition, and he threw a bunch of extra stuff in it: some new shots, some CGI, uh, changed some edits. Most famously, the Han shot first edit, which infuriates fans to this day. I mean, to me, I don't get too upset about this shit because some mm-hmm. most of the shots are whatever you can tell it's CGI. Like yeah. when they add some of the creatures in, it's not terrible. But that shot is so, so, so dumb. Like, yeah. I can't imagine as a filmmaker why he would have decided to make Han, like, CG step on his yeah. tail. And, and like, it, it doesn't yeah. even look good. Like, no, I, I it doesn't. And, and it does doesn't. that really add anything to the storyline? That scene? No, it like, definitely doesn't. It did at the time, because you were like, oh, something extra. But in right. hindsight, you know, there's actually something out there which you can find if you hunt around called the despecialized edition. And that's like a bunch of people got together and expertly recreated um, as close as humanly possible, the original edit of the film uh, and how they just look up despecialized well, edition. I still you have somewhere. I have the VHS THX release, yeah. which is the original version. I have yeah, it on it VHS. Is. It's the original version with really, really well-balanced sound. Yeah. I think that's the best version that there is. If you can I get have that on VHS on. somewhere. Although I think it lived in my garage for about 10 years, so I think it might be dead by this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you can hear this. My cat is chasing a bottle. Yeah, something so, uh, dramatic just happened. Yeah, he's he's knocking a soda <laughs> bottle around, so I'm going to put him out, okay, and then we can keep talking. Yeah, uh, be right back. Right. Um, the, one, the one other thing I did want to say about like the aesthetic of the movie that I think yeah. helps with the suspension of disbelief even today yeah. Is that although this movie was made, what was it, 76? Is that what? No. 78? 77 it came out. Euro 70, was born. 77. So, it was, okay. so yeah, it was made mid 70s, released in 77. Right. Okay. Um, it doesn't feel necessarily like it was a 70s movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like aesthetically, like not at all. Some of the haircuts a little bit. Like there's a couple guys with some 70s sideburns. Um, mm-hmm. but other than that, like it doesn't really feel that seventies to me. No, um, not it even feels a, it feels pretty timeless. Sort of like, sort of like the the same way Back to the Future does a good job at like yeah. like keeping you in an almost timeless way. You know what I yep. mean? Even though it's obvious, it sounds dumb because it's a movie about time. But yeah. but you know what I mean? It feels a little bit timeless. Um, yeah. So I think like whatever they did as far as like uh, the wardrobe choices and even like the yeah. hairstyles and stuff like that, they didn't go too over the top with things and it, yep. it, it keeps you in that world really well. It really does. And I think part of it is because they purposely, I mean, one Ralph McQuarrie and the the artists who like did a lot of the, the artwork for it that they then built around right. purposely went, I mean, they intentionally went mythological on this. Right. So they're, you know, Darth Vader looks like a robot monster and a samurai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the like Luke and and Ben are dressed in a way that's kind of feels ancient, right? right? It's right. This, this sort of like 
ancient future feeling right um i think really really evokes just the right tone right and it gets people in the right headspace whether they realize it or not it's really really well done and then yeah like Han Solo looks like a gunslinger right um <laughs> and and I, you're right there's not a lot of stuff that feels it feels out of time right or or of a different time but it doesn't feel like the 70s to me it never has and i think also the fact that they went with the orchestral soundtrack which is just masterful mm-hmm. like it really there's there are so many good uh themes in the soundtrack the force theme the binary sunset scene where luke is looking at the two suns setting right, right. and you hear that that yeah. um the force suite playing it's just so damn good oh my god i love it but it is interesting because we are at the time of this by the time this is released we will have finally released our dune episode but we yeah. talked about the soundtrack of dune in that episode oh my god and i was listening when when i was watching it this time um mm-hmm. i was thinking it is an interesting choice though you know what i mean like to have that because there could be a world where some for, when they did dune where they did a more orchestra Mm-hmm. orchestral style soundtrack you know what i mean and it wouldn't yep. work and it's so funny because like in star wars the orchestral like you can't imagine star wars without that dude like, and it's anthematic like right. it's so I mean, it's oh in my a, god it's yeah. all of our brains for the rest of our life like you can't get yep. away from it <laughs> yeah no i i remember when i was when cds became a thing and I bought the soundtrack to the movie. Yeah. Like they released it on CD. And I was just like, oh my God, it's enraptured. <laughs> and I could sit around and listen to it. I still do. I still I mean, I have a Star Wars music playlist on my right, right. on my uh Apple Music or whatever the hell it is. I run to it sometimes. Like, you know. <laughs> um it's and that that's the one thing I will also say is like consistently good through the entire franchise. The music is just never not amazing. Right. Um, but this this really got it going and it gets that sort of gets the feel just right yeah. brings you into it yeah um so what do you think do we do we need to do you want to recap the story or do you want to just jump right into what it means? i don't think we need to i think if anybody's listening to this they've seen star wars or yeah or i mean i think yeah. is there anyone who hasn't seen star wars uh, aside from your ex-wife who that that in itself is a great story i remember you oh where we showed the, her star wars video. for the first time yeah <laughs> Wait, um, it was when you showed her empire right well, no, I have. Uh, oh, where she fell asleep. I, I remember you. I just remember you send, sending me a video one time, and like it was just hilarious because she had never seen. Because you watched the whole trilogy with her, I believe. I did watch the whole trilogy right. with her, and uh, so she did not know that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. Right. And so I did record her reaction to that, which was which was funny because she was like nodding off. So she's like, "Wait, what?" And like, and then and then when it hit her, yeah, the reaction was really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, she. I couldn't believe it. She'd never seen any of them, and I was like, "Really?" Yeah. And she's like, "Yeah, I just, I don't know." Some some people haven't, uh, and it yeah. is different watching them as as a grown up and as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say I don't think we need to do a recap of this. So okay. I, I think if anybody's listening to this podcast, they've probably watched it. So yeah, do, do you want to jump into some of the the themes of this movie? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, again, there's so many things we've already talked about that that contributed to this catching at just the right time and sort of blowing up i think you know three big i'd love to hear what you think and i think three big things we'll see if we get in get into them that really uh i think contributed to this just capturing the heart of uh people at the time that it came out and really as far as i'm concerned functioning as like the myth 
for a generation. Right. Really, really, really sort of, I think, in a lot of ways, was the American myth for a minute. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and even just the myth of Western culture for a hot second. But I think... Um, I think it touches on these really amazing three themes. One, I think it it the thing that's the least understood and the least recognized is that Star Wars and especially the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi tap into this tension of true true religion and true spirituality versus empire. Yeah. Which I think has always been with us and been a fundamental tension of western culture. Right. Um and I think I I am shocked if I would be shocked if George Lucas did not do this partially on purpose. And mm. we can talk about that. Okay. Um, I love the way that Star Wars put language to the influence that Eastern religions and philosophies were already having okay. on uh, Western culture and American culture in particular. Uh, and, and and like had already had by that point. Right. Uh, and then of course, I think Star Wars is the ultimate hero journey. It's the, right. it's the masterpiece of the hero with a thousand faces, all of which like we can, we can spend just a few minutes breaking each one of those down. Yeah, but what about so, you? What do you think is the, the psychological meat of the story or the, or the real catching point? Well, it's funny because of course the hero's journey is, I mean, we've all, sure. Maybe not everybody, and I think I I would probably like it if you gave a quick rundown of what mm -hmm. that is for our listeners. But absolutely, on this viewing, because we had talked ahead of time about what you thought you wanted to talk about and the idea of true religion versus empire, mm -hmm. empire I could not help but watch this in that light this entire time. Whole and different movie, isn't it? And the allegory got so, so deep for me, man. Like it got so intense. A whole different movie, really. Like. It's it's amazing. And, and and the great thing about that is, yes, I'm I was watching it through that lens of like yep. modern religion or, or or I guess you could yeah. say religion at any point in time, but but specifically yeah. through what I've been through and what we've been through and, yeah. and our, our particular views on religion and stuff, it had a very uh unique um uh experience. It was a unique experience for me. Yeah. But the thing is, like what's great about that is you could you could put anything in that place because yep, as totally. we've talked about ad nauseum humans are corruptible so anything that's mm -hmm. good can be corrupted for yep. for for bad right yep and so um i'm i'm very grateful that you you brought that point up to me yeah. because it was a it was a it was a very interesting watch i couldn't help but see darth vader as like you know pick any random uh, evangelical preacher that's been sure. uh, corrupted and gone yeah. down the wrong path like i couldn't yeah. help but see him as that right and i couldn't yeah. help but see um, the empire as modern evangelical yeah. Christianity or whatever, yeah. you know, like yeah. you can't help but see that. But what's yeah. great is, like I said, you can see that you could you could put anything anything that's good in that in its place there. Absolutely. Um, but but just for our listeners, could you the the big thing that everyone always talks about with Star Wars? Sure. Is uh, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, sure. right? Um, could you give our listeners just a quick? overview of what that yeah. is and how star wars sort of like i think it's been said is sort of like one of the best representations of that yeah of that and, and we don't need to overly belabor the point because there's so many podcasts and so many conversations exactly. that do it really well right. um there are books about it joseph campbell in the power of myth does it really well but but so joseph campbell was a mythologist uh sort of mid to late 20th century and he what he did was he rather than falling down the academic rabbit hole of overly specializing, he studied comparative mythology. So brilliant person, 
um, studying deep in many, many, many different aspects, many different components of mythology from the world over. And again, when you say mythology, um, most people automatically think of Greek and Roman mythology. Mm -hmm. But mythology is, Campbell said it really well, someone asked him to define mythology, and he said it's other people's religion. Mm, uh, okay. and, and to other people, your religion is mythology. Right, right. right? Okay. Yep. So mythology are stories that we create to give shape to the universe that we're in. Right. And they might help us create ethical systems. They might explain why the universe is the way that it is. Um, they might, uh, you, you know, and they also show us how to live well in the world. Right. But that's that's sort of what mythology is. And so what Campbell did was he looked at myth the world over all throughout human history, and he tried to identify sort of what he called the hero with a thousand faces, what he called the monomyth, which is one story that was universally being told in the common beats of all the stories, right? right. Um, and in particular, this is something he was drawing on the work of Carl Jung, mm -hmm. and it was happening at a particular moment in time where a lot of people who were studying mythology and religion were looking for commonalities. And you could see why in the aftermath of two world wars, right. they were going, hey, we got to figure out what makes us one human species. Mm. Yep. Um and again, since then, there's a lot of ways that the, that the the hero with a thousand faces and some of these comparative studies have been also co-opted by empire. Right. So they become a little bit colonialist, and they they become a way for like white people to read their values and co-opt other people's uh, uh, practices. That's a whole other conversation right, right. which we could have, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. At this point in time, they are saying Carl Jung says it really well. At one point, he goes, "There are archetypes." In our, in our psychological realities, there are, I'm going to say, common beats in our stories and the things we tell ourselves about how to be human, just like you can take a person from India and you can take a person from England and you can perform the same surgery on them because they have the exact same right. organs in their yeah. body because yeah. we're all human. He's also saying we have the same organs in our psyche mm. and we have the same components that are that are part of what we go through in our human journey right. and in every culture that's ever existed we've created stories that help us learn how to be human and function in the world and so much so these stories are so important that we believe that the gods have given them to us yeah. different versions different stories different gods different cultures but there are commonalities in all of them. And yeah. so Joseph Campbell, in particular, in one of the four functions of mythology, uh, one of them is to teach us how to be human. And so he identified these common beats in everything from the Ramayana and the Mahabharata in Indian culture to the Hebrew Bible to, you know, the story of Jesus to stories of Norse gods and so on and so forth, where he's like, hey, there's certain things that are happening over and over again in these stories, and we can put them on a chart. Yeah. And so that's what he called the monomyth, and he called the hero with a thousand faces. And so you have a hero, right? And the hero is the the drama of the hero is a symbolic representation of what we go through when we're trying. We come into this world, uh, you know, we face challenges. We are told by everyone and everything around us what's important and who to be. And at a certain point in our life, we need to kind of break free of that and live our own integrity and become the person that we are. Right. right. Yep. Um. And and these stories help us do that. 
So, you know, he he identified beats to that, right? Like it starts with a departure and there's a call to adventure and the hero refuses the call initially. Now, does that sound familiar in our story, yeah. <laughs> right? R2-D2 and C-3PO crash land into Luke Skywalker's life and he suddenly has this call to adventure, but he initially resists it. Ben Kenobi shows up and, and, and deepens the call and says, you need to come with me to Alderaan. And Luke right. says, nope, I'm not going to do it. He refuses the call. Got to be there then for there's the harvest. A, Bingo. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's all such a long way from here. That's your uncle talking. Um, and then there is this uh, supernatural aid comes often in the form of a talisman or a weapon that's given to the hero, like a lightsaber <laughs> or the insight into the force and how it works right. and so on and so forth. Then there's the crossing of the threshold. There's the belly of the whale. There's always a trial that the hero goes through, right? They go down into the trash compactor. Uh, his closest ally in Obi-Wan Kenobi dies. Right. Um, he goes through what's called the road of trials and so on and so forth. Um, and so he basically laid these out. And the best book to read about this is The Hero with a Thousand Faces. This is this is the book where he laid out the theory. Right. Uh, you could also watch the absolutely fantastic PBS documentary called The Power of Myth, oh, wow. where Bill Moyers interviews Joseph Campbell, and Joseph Campbell lays this whole theory oh. out. And in that, they talk about Star Wars several times. Wow, I've never seen um, that. Oh, oh, dude. I'll have to oh, watch my that. God, that dude. Awesome. Absolutely watch The Power of Myth. You would love it. It is wow. fucking brilliant. That's great. It is. And you can still find it online. Yeah. It's so good. Mm, it I was bet. filmed in 1988. Um, Joseph Campbell died, and then they showed it in 1989 wow. posthumously. And uh, Phyllis Tickle, who's a, a scholar of world religions, and she wrote for, I forget, Time Magazine or some publication, she said that the showing of The Power of Myth on PBS was as significant as Martin Luther nailing his 99 thesis on the door of the cathedral at Wittenberg wow. that started okay. the Protestant Reformation because she said it that radically revolutionized people's understanding to start to think about the fact that there might be commonalities in all world religions. Right, right. Okay. Which again, was not a new idea, but it had never been communicated in that popular of a format. Right. To this day, still the most popular thing PBS has ever done. Like this docuseries just blew up. People okay. ate it up. Wow. Yeah, so I would, I would strongly recommend checking yeah. out The Power of Myth. Anybody who's interested in the monomyth theory, check out The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Um, so the story goes that George Lucas basically used that as a template to build a story and basically just filled in the blanks of all the beats that Joseph Campbell gave him. Joseph Campbell jokingly has said George Lucas is the best student he ever had. Okay. Because George Lucas set out to create a hero journey movie based on the monomyth. Now, these days, there's so many hero journeys. Right. They're so, they've become derivative and trite. Right. But he got it, man. Lucas was the first one to really do it, and he just nailed it i didn't right. know that that he that he actually set out to follow the the script basically so goes the story <laughs> okay yeah so goes That's the great. story he very intentionally used you know mythological imagery and themes and and so goes the story as he intentionally followed the cycle that joseph campbell That's described awesome. yeah that's great. Yeah, and and so you can see it in Star Wars, and then if you watch Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, right. you can see the big arc in the trilogy. Right. right. Clearly, like Empire Strikes Back is is the belly of the whale. It's the underworld journey. It's the right. hero like losing and and losing everything, and then going down into the worst situation possible uh, on their way to to kind of like it's it's death on the way to resurrection, really. Yeah. 
um, and to a lesser extent, like I said, but but very effectively so in this movie, it's it's the second act where Ben dies. You know, they they go through the bar- the trash compactor and barely escape, and then the Death Star is coming to basically destroy them. But the bulk of this first movie is the hero uh, sort of rejecting and coming yes. to terms with the fact that he has to go on this this yeah. this journey. One hundred percent, the call to adventure. Right, like he is living an ordinary life that he's very bored in. He dreams of something better. Something breaks in to say, "Hey, the life you think you're living, there are whole other possibilities out there, and you." are not just the person you think you are. You are capable of so much more. You have right. a calling and a destiny. And in a way, that's a very universal human experience because exactly. we are all, again, born into a situation. Some of us are born into tragedy. Some of us are born into great circumstance. Some of us are just born into the monotony of, of ordinary right. you know, life. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a point where we, we are conforming to everything around us. And at a certain point, the gravity shifts... Right. And we have to stop living our life for what everyone and everything around us tells us to be. And we have the opportunity to become the person that we are. Right. Whether you are a spiritual person and you think it's the person you've you're destined to be or created to be, or it's just like, hey, no, I need I need to steer my own raft here. Right. Um and, and you know, even if you're following your own genetics, whatever it is, right. Carl Jung called that individuation. And okay. it's the great task of a human life mm. uh, is, is to create your own life and walk your own path. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually maybe think about what it means. Right. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's like that, that sort of like um, Luke Skywalker getting the calling, man. We've, we've all had moments like that where like something breaks in and suddenly you realize life can be more than what it is. Yeah, it's it's funny uh, in watching this because you know it's been, like I said, it's been a number of years since I watched this, and and I know a little bit more about the hero's journey and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because it is sort of accelerated. You know what I mean? Like oh yeah, like Luke's. Uh, I mean, and, and it also comes back to like the Family Guy references making mm-hmm. fun of it, the fact that like he meets Ben or, or Obi Wan or whatever, and like. Yeah. Obi-Wan dies the next day and he's like so heartbroken and it, it yeah. all escalates very, very, very yeah. quickly. You know what I mean? Oh, and by the way, yeah. Um, by the way, they they joke about that where he's like talking to Princess Leia and he's like, I'm so sad. I just wish Obi-Wan was here. And she like comforts him and everyone's always been like, well, that's some bullshit. Her planet just got blown up. Right. And he's sad about the man that he's known for three days being dead. Right. But to be fair, the unspoken thing is the people who raised him as parents also are also dead. dead. Yeah. yeah. Like he really has <laughs> yeah. lost a lot. Like, cut, but it cut is funny because slack. Leia like doesn't even make mention of it later. You no. know what I mean? She's like, she's nope. just like, oh, it's okay, honey. Like, oh you'll God. be fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's yeah. comforting she's him. She's so hard. And her oh entire planet has been wiped out. Yeah, just fucking destroyed. Oh my god, it's amazing. Um, no, it's it's so true. And and so there's this thing. There's uh, another concept comes from Christian Christian mythology and symbolism is the idea of the pearl of great price, which is that the the Jesus tells a parable. There's a pearl merchant. His whole life he's bought and sold pearls, and then one day in a particular market in a particular place he comes upon the pearl of great price, the greatest pearl he's ever seen. And it says he goes and he sells everything he has to obtain it. And sort of the Jungians teach that that what the pearl of great price represents is like that moment in life where everything comes together and you realize what your life could be. It's like tapping the thing that's the most real and the most true mm. uh, spiritually or the most real and the most true about you. And that does happen to Luke. He finds out 
more than like his father was not a navigator on a spice freighter. His father was a Jedi Knight, and right. that's his legacy. And the Force exists, and so he's getting in touch suddenly with a reality that's more than what he knew, and a and a and a destiny that's more than what he knew, and a legacy that's or, or yeah. a, uh, ancestry that's more than what he knew. Yeah. And that those are the moments. Sometimes things like that, life breaks in, and you feel like you have your finger on the pulse of a reality that you always wondered about, and it was always just there beyond the edges, and suddenly it's here and it's real. Right. So that's that's getting in touch with the Pearl of Great Price. But what a lot of people don't realize is the next thing the person does in the story is he goes and he sells everything he has so that he can own it. Right. And that's that's a real-life experience, too. We have these moments where everything comes together— and then and I say this all the time to people I do spiritual direction with, after everything comes together, we have a temptation to blow everything apart. Mm. Because the moment everything comes together and you get in touch with the potential of how things could be and you go back to your ordinary life, suddenly everything <laughs> falls short. And so what I always say to people is, just don't go at your life with a can of gasoline and a match yeah. after you have an epiphany. Like, slow and steady to make your life what you want it to be. And that's sort of what happens is Luke has this, like, reality breaks in, and then he doesn't go at it with a can of gasoline and a match. It blows up on its own and right, propels right. him yeah. into pursuing his destiny. He sort destiny. of has no choice in the story. He has no choice. And that that is sort of what happens in some of these faded stories. But where it hits you and me are these moments where we, um, where again, we have we have everything comes together moments. And then we take everything apart to try to make it what it can be. We get in touch with our own potential, with the potential of life. And I will say as a person who genuinely is, you know, a spiritual true believer, we get in touch with the spirituality that underlies reality. And it right. opens our eyes to something new. Yeah. I can remember, it, you just said the gasoline in a match and, and, and talking telling uh, your people that you do spiritual direction with to slow down is that's mm -hmm. the one thing that I think you, I, I can remember you imparting to me like sort of psychology 101 is like when, when things are going nuts, like yeah. uh, resist the temptation <laughs> to make big decisions. You know what yes. I mean? And yes. it's, it's one of the hardest things in the world. I yeah. think, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Now in Luke's story, again, he I don't think he had a choice. Like he yeah. where, where does he have to go? Like he has no other choice, yeah. sort of. I mean, yeah. I guess he could stay at the farm and sort of try to rebuild. Yeah. But why would he? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um but I can remember that was like sound advice that you gave me and I and I've in turn then given that to some friends yeah. that have gone through some some shit in their lives. And it's yeah. like, hey, when when things are getting wacky, pump the brakes a little bit. You know what yeah. I mean? You, mm -hmm. you don't make big decisions when it's uh yeah, it's a t I remember when when my last relationship blew up um and also job family a bunch of stuff happened right. you were there for all of it. Yep. And a bunch of my my sort of international friends were like, "All right, it's time to leave the area. It's time to peace out. Get the hell out of there." And I was like, <laughs> "You know, not yet." Yeah. Uh yeah. not yet. I want to I want to slow down. I want to fully experience this moment. Right. I want to have everything it has for me, all the pain. Yeah. Joseph Campbell says, if you're falling, dive. Um, mm. and, I, and I love that. Mm. You know, so I, I really want to have everything it has for me. And, and I did. And then at a certain point, Campbell also has this great thing people love to quote, if you follow your bliss, follow what you love, 
doors will open where previously there were no doors. And that's true. But I also think sometimes the courage to walk through doors is what leads you to your bliss. And I think that's more in keeping with everything else he wrote about sort of the call to adventure. Right. And so for me, like that moment of staying still, I think also let me respond to, you know, we talked about this in other episodes, of all the things and all the weird things I had respond to this one opportunity to do this like five hours a week for the Center Fraction Contemplation remotely, right. which then through a long series over a year of many, many, many different little things yeah. led to then a particular call to adventure for me, which is come move to New Mexico and do what I'm doing now, right? Which was a which was a huge life reboot. But I'm as as much as it was like a a scary um you know jumping on the Millennium Falcon and taking off into space. I am I'm still glad that I didn't immediately like burn everything to the ground. Right. Totally. Um sometimes a little bit of resistance to the call goes a long way actually. Mm. I think sometimes sometimes there's a reason the resistance to the call is there is it helps you sort of like be grounded and be sure even even when you're what be, you're being sure of is what you're unsure of. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's interesting. I never Yeah. yeah. No that's Yeah, so so something fun for listeners to think about is, you know, when has reality broken in for you? Or when have you felt things come together? And then the moment everything comes together, you realize how you're falling short, and then you start to consider new possibilities. Right. Yeah. Totally. No, and those are, the, I mean, those are some of the best moments. I mean, I think, you know, my, I, I can just speak personally in my own life. Recently, I, I've come to one of those realizations where there's sort of a crossroads of, mm-hmm. of, um, and I can't say too much about it publicly, but a decision has to be made. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I going to sort of uh, try to reach my potential here and, mm-hmm. and go down this new, this new scary path of yep. uh, of adventure, or am I yep. going to stick with the status quo and kind of just maybe fizzle out? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and sometimes we have to make that. Uh, that hard call, but, 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 but like what you're saying is sometimes it takes time, like, and it should probably take a little bit of time, a pause, a beat to, to think that through. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I won't get into the specifics, but you know, for me, I'm in a situation that recently had a shift and Mm -hmm. I may have to take on some new responsibilities and it's frankly terrifying for me because I can see the potential of something that I really want to step into and work on and, and, help bring into the world and i'm also exactly. like can i actually do that like do i have the skill set for that dude and it's so funny because like we are obviously what we do is so dramatically yeah. different from one another yep. but the parallels yep. right now in, yep. in in that that uh what do they call that the um imposter syndrome like the, yeah. the idea that like yeah I, I know this is the thing that i want to do i know like yeah. more than anything that like this is the journey that i want to go down and yeah. i think i think that i can do it and i think i can make yeah. a difference here but at the same time do i have what it takes to do that you know what i mean like yeah. can i make this this leap and can i pull this yeah. together you know what i mean it's scary yeah well and it's funny because if i bring the spiritual component in and, and i know you you don't go there in the way that i do but that's that's where the force becomes really interesting in this story because it, it it that speaks to this thing of like if I step out will I be supported? Mm. Is there something beyond me? Mm. Is there a fate? Um, is there a benevolent? Is there a benevolent force? Right. <laughs> that is, like if I step out I'll be met, and I will be I will be sustained. 
right. in the midst of this. And that that could, I mean, there's a couple ways to interpret that. You know, there's a lot of people who talk about, you know, living in flow state and, and right. you know, living in touch with your deepest intuition and your deepest creativity. Right. And, and, and that doesn't have to be God or spirit or a force. It can be literally living in concert with yourself and your own potential. Right. Yeah. And when you're living in concert with your own self and your own potential, you will work harder. You will perform better. You will tap into deeper creative states. And also you are willing to suffer more because you're suffering for something that's worth it. And so... Sometimes that's part of like facing that imposter syndrome and, and answering the call is literally being willing to trust your own potential and the, and the deeper longings of your own psyche. Right. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and I think, I think I can't, it gets so confusing to remember which podcast we talked about this on, whether yeah. it was ours or Eric's or whatever. Um, but I do think that's where I'm at with um, when I talk about sometimes where I'm, I get sometimes confused, not confused. I'm, I have a hard time articulating, uh, finding the right language for yeah. where I'm at when, when, when I'm in conversation about spirituality and stuff. Yeah. But what you just, what you just said there sparked in me, like, I think it's all the same thing, whether yeah. we're talking about yep. flow state yep. or religion, it's just yep. a matter of where you put your emphasis and where you put what you might think as literal or figurative yeah. or mythology, mythological or whatever. You know what I mean? Yep. I think we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. Because that's where I'm living right now is more of a, yeah, I kind of think that like, if I'm in tune with the thing that I think is right, yep, it'll probably get me to a place that is better than if I'm just going with the status quo and doing, you know, yeah. what I'm quote unquote supposed to do. And other folks might say, well, that's where God is leading me. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think it's the same thing. And I think it's just. Yeah. And that's that thing of like, is it fate? Is it calling by the universe and the divine? Is it the force? Right, right. Carl Jung says we meet our unconscious in the world and we call it fate. Right. Um, right. You know, or what is it? And I, and I think moving into the second thing of like, that's, you know, hero, hero with a thousand faces, um, the, the monomyth, a really amazing hero story. I think that's a big part of what makes Star Wars so huge. The second thing is the concept of the force. Mm, you yeah. know, um, the idea, Eastern Eastern religions, uh, notions like the Tao, which I love, mm -hmm. and, and sort of Zen Buddhism and, and this whole philosophy, um, had been a part of like Western thought for a while, right? right? It, from from way back in the day when, when the Brits colonized uh, Asia and, okay. and brought those philosophies back, it'd been in dialogue, and then... Since the 60s, really, really popular in the United States. Uh, if, you know, we could go back before that. Swami Vivekananda came over to the World Parliament of Religions in the, in the early 20th century. Um, th these ideas are around. Yeah. But the, uh, there's a great book you could read called American Veda, and it looks at that, how everything from the Beatles and Alan Watts were, like, popularizing mm. uh, this thought. Okay. And then George Lucas took it and, and turned it into the force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he made it absolutely as digestible as humanly popular as humanly possible yeah and i and i think it it gave a myth for something that had been around for a long time mm. um and i can honestly tell you as embarrassing it is to is to admit the notion of the force in star wars had a massive influence on how i experience spirituality in in my entire life right i i had this beautiful thing where my my mom when i was a kid you know, f sort of fundamentalist evangelical, but like rocked it in her own way. Yeah, yeah. Gave me a Bible, told me the story of Solomon and God granting Solomon wisdom, 
had me read a proverb of the day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. She said, you know, read read the chapter that corresponds to the day of the month and every single day ask God for wisdom. Mm-hmm. And in Hebrew wisdom literature, there's this notion of Sophia, which is the wisdom present in all of the natural world, permeating the natural world, speaking to us through the natural world. And it says, wisdom cries out from everything to the simples mm. that they would just listen. Mm. And so, you know, I read that over and over and over again. And this idea of wisdom permeating everything, it it it's a shit ton a lot like the force in right, Star right. Wars. Yeah, yeah. And so those two <laughs> things being in me, even though I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian environment, it was built on this platform of this notion of what I would later understand as like the Tao okay. or what Heraclitus describes as the logos, mm. the the living wisdom evident in every atom, right. like bubbling up out of the natural world, showing us how to live our lives and of which we are ourselves a part. Yeah. And that does not have to be a religious belief. Right, right. right. It can just be the pattern of reality revealing its wisdom to us. Now for me it's deeply spiritual, but it doesn't right. have to be. Like right, you said, right. it could be it could be the same thing described from a different way. Right. But I do think like the notion and if we I think we should come back and do an episode about the Empire Strikes Back because I think it reaches its crescendo okay. when the character of Yoda shows up. Mm, and the way okay. he explains the force to Luke, okay. we're getting ahead of ourselves, but in that movie he he describes like losing to win. Mm, right? Okay. The, the force that doesn't have to assert itself, which really is a lot like reading the Tao Te Ching, but it's also a lot like reading the teachings of Jesus. It's really, really extraordinary. Okay. Um, and they never call it love, but you know, my favorite theologian says, love, love overcomes power by not resorting to power, which is a huge theme in all three movies. It's sort of how Luke defeats the emperor and Darth Vader in the end, but we don't have to go that far. Just for this one, the notion of introducing this idea that there's an energy field created by all living things... Right. That, you know, surrounds surrounds us and binds us, holds the universe together, and that we can tap into that. Right. That we can tap into that uh, to, to, to fully maximize who we are and how we operate in the world, and that it has wisdom for us. Right. Right? It's pretty yeah. extraordinary. So what you just said there just, just sparked something in me that I just wanted to ask about. Um, when you talk about Tao... And, yeah. uh, you know, me where I'm at these days, which sure. is I'm very, uh, content, not, not even just content, but I find joy in the simplicity of not being religious. I, I find yeah. joy in the natural world. I find joy in the, uh, the experience of kayaking down a river and feeling the water on my skin and the sun on my, you know what I mean? Beating down on me. And I, I find joy in uh, hearing the laughter of my girlfriend or the yeah. unspoken love that you and I have or me and Tom or me and Garrett, you know? And and when you talk about Tao, like it feels like that's what you're saying, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me that like, how can I word this? I think, again, it, this comes back to this, this, this place where I'm at these days where I, I don't quite have the language for it. Because again, I don't, I don't, I think it comes down to that I don't necessarily need right now spiritual language for this. Yeah. But it sounds like maybe what you're talking about when you talk about doubt is sort of the same thing that I'm talking about when I talk about experiencing the natural world in that way. Am I, am I wrong in that? Or is there anything you could say about that that? Well, I would say, 
I would say yes, and um, so I'll, I'll I'll throw some nerd knowledge on there, and then mm-hmm. and then we can talk about the experience of it for a second. So so three things. Um, one, every religion that's ever existed, there's a there's an initial thought, revelation, experience, insight, and then people build a whole system on it. So right. so. You know, when we talk about Taoism, there's the Tao Te Ching, which I love, and some of the beautiful writings of of Taoism. Then there are several different types of schools of of Taoism. From there's like a whole folklore around it. There's a sort of religion built around it. And there's a okay. philosophy. So it depends where they. But at the heart, yeah, I think that's that. I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Also, um, I heard a, a a Zen sort of master recently say that you know Zen is Taoism is Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so, as Buddhism moves from India through China, um, it it gets together with Taoism and then goes to Japan and becomes Zen. Zen okay. is basically Taoism plus Buddhism. Okay. And uh, he said, you know, there's more Taoism than actually Buddhism in Zen in Zen thought. And it's it's, it's a similar thing. Um, and then you have you have the logos, which Heraclitus writes about as this sort of thing that permeates all of all of reality that's giving us wisdom. Um, which then some Christian theology, scripture even equates with Christ. That's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna actually talk about you know my guy Origen, his his um, his description of the spiritual life is that we go through three major seasons, and in the first season we learn um, a tradition, we learn right. a religion, we learn scriptures. We learn ethics. We learn. Um, we build a life around that. We learn right and wrong. We learn what not to do. We learn a whole literal set of beliefs, and then that sort of kind of falls apart at a certain point. Like it serves a really, really good purpose, right? And then, and then you know, it it gets scandalized and it sort of crumbles in a bit by design. Yeah. And he says that we then move into a second season which he calls the physicae, and the physicae is, is from the same word. It's the root for physician. It's the root for physics. Okay. Um, it, it, it actually translates to sort of nature, really. Okay. And, um, and he said in that season what happens is we our whole way of being and knowing shifts, and, and he equates that with the biblical book of Ecclesiastes. So there's asking hard questions and wrestling with things and a lot of, a lot of starting to know what we don't know. Right. And a start of like a lot of like more living into questions than answers. But what he says is it it our locus shifts from books, beliefs, ethics to what he calls natural intelligence. Mm. And so nature, yep. the intelligence of nature, the intelligence of our own body, and he says actually science. Okay. Uh, become much more important to us in that season of spiritual being. Mm. And we are more nourished by those things. And and we often experience that as a big step away from the beliefs and the books and the right, right. and the ethics. But the thing is, those things are still informing you. Right. You're just interacting with them in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Just like you and I have had many, many a conversation where you go back to something that was, you know, at one point... Uh, existed in in a in a in a particular way in your religious belief system and now you go back and you see the value in it but you experience it in a completely different yes. way. You might yep. understand it metaphorically or you might right. understand it more as like a parable. Yeah. So I think that what Origins describing in that season of spiritual growth, what we read about as the Tao, 
mm-hmm. what Hebrew wisdom literature refers to as Sophia, what Heraclitus talks about as Logos, what the Star Wars movies talk about as the Force. I think it's all the same thing. Right. It's this palpable um, wisdom pattern that is evident in all of nature and it's it's you know it's deep stuff that we can read books about and it's also exactly what you said the laughter of your girlfriend yeah. uh there's a there's a i don't know if it's by dogon there's a there's a zen poem that a teacher of mine quotes all the time and, and i always remember this one line is like the sound of a frog mm. plopping into a pond right mm. it's just this sort of mm. um you know the the wisdom of nature speaks to us all the time and for me like honestly when i you know, I have a very storied religious uh, journey, as you know. Yeah. And what happened for me at the height of COVID was my number one spiritual practice became getting up on the mountain. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's some type of, when I get up that high and I look at how big the desert is. Right, I used right. to experience this sitting on the ocean as well. I, I genuinely think I healed from a lot of grief in my life by sitting mm-hmm. on the ocean. It just recalibrates my yeah. sense of scale. Yeah. And my dumb little problems are suddenly not that important right. when I'm gazing out at the vastness yeah. of the desert. <laughs> um, and I realize how short my life is, and I realize how small my life is, and the irony is that's a liberation. That's not depressing. Uh, and I think that that sort of puts <clears throat> us in touch with, um, yeah, that, that rhythm and that Tao. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but... No, I just wanted you. Yeah, that, that, no, that's great because yeah, and it's so, and, and it's just and it, to me and I, and I'm still you know this is a life journey, right? Uh, yeah. This is a uh, I find myself in an interesting place where I feel like you. What I love about our conversations is that we can mm-hmm. have these 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 conversations back and forth, and we yeah. can talk about the same thing, and they can mean slightly different things, right? Like yeah. like you can see things from a obviously you're taking most of life in a from a spiritual perspective yeah. i tend to take things right now from a more uh natural perspective but i yeah. think it's the same thing and i don't yeah. think it necessarily matters I and so. I, I certainly know it doesn't offend either of us to no. to to see it from those perspectives yeah. but they're just as beautiful to, yes. to each of us right yeah. and i and i think that's it's just an interesting uh and and what i love is that i don't think about i don't in my normal day-to-day life, I don't think about spirituality much these days, yeah. right? Just because yeah. of where I'm at right now. Yeah. But I love being able to do that with you because yeah. it sparks these ideas and these conversations yeah. and it's, it is such a fun thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to pick your brain about that. Yeah, no, I, I dig it. Um, it's that sort of, yeah, it, it, I I like that natural perspective. Even, even you know, you think about Jesus, he's, you know, consider the flowers of the field. Exactly. Consider the birds of the air. Yeah. Um, look at a little child, and that, and then, and then, you know, we want to like, oh, because he's making a point about nope, nope, nope. Just stay with that. Right. Right. The the there's um in Buddhism the the Sermon of the Lotus. Right. Supposedly, like one one version of the story is the Buddha chose his successor because he gave a sermon, and the sermon was he held up a flower in front of his, all his disciples, and one of them smiled. Right. And he knew that he got it. Yeah. Uh, the book of Job, my favorite book of the Bible, paradoxically, you and I took a journey with it. Yep. All these bad things happen to Job. He asks for a reason. He asks for a reason. He asks for a reason. Finally, God shows up and he gives Job a revelation of the natural world. Yeah. 
Uh, and a lot of people experience that as God is like this bitch slap of like, where were you when I created the world? No, it's like, it's like the divine version of the planet earth documentary. He's like, look <laughs> at all this shit. And Job goes, I talked about things I didn't know about. Now I put my hand over my mouth and I say nothing. Yeah. Which no, was totally. a lot of theologians who don't get it because they've never had that experience. They're like, oh man, he, Job was contrite, like God broke his spirit. Oh, fuck you. That's not what happened. Yeah. When you've had that revelation, when you, when you've stood on top of a mountain and yeah. you watch the sun rise over the desert or over the ocean, and it and it puts things back in perspective for you, then you do put your hand over your mouth because you're like, I don't have words for this, but exactly. I feel it in my bones. Totally. Feel no, it in exactly. my bones. And that's yeah. that's the mystic, right? That's the entry into the mystic is the person who closes their mouth because they can't even describe it. And it's the funny Tao that to can me, be named is not the eternal Tao. It's funny to me because I, I guess the reason that, that this brings up, <clears throat> I don't know what the words are for it, but it's funny to me because when I hear you talk about it, it sounds mm-hmm. a little bit a little bit more beautiful because you have mm-hmm. that mystical, religious, mm-hmm. not really spiritual yeah. view of it, right? Yeah. And that's <clears throat> enticing to me. Yeah. But where I'm at right now, all of that beauty without the yeah. religious <laughs> twinge yeah. is yeah. is enough for me. You know what yeah. I mean? Um And I and I think maybe it is enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, 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 you know, when, when Job says, okay, now I'm not going to say anything else. Like I said, when, when they say, you know, the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. That's the other thing that's great. It's one of my favorite lines from the Tao Te Ching. Like we can, I'm going to write all this poetry about it, but just remember the, the thing that we speak is not the real thing. Right. Um, the notion of the logos, we translate the logos as word because there's no word for it. We don't have a word for it. So we're just going to call it word. Right. Um, and it's the meaning of the universe, implicit yeah. in the universe. The, the, that stuff, I, yeah, I think maybe that is enough. Exactly. Um, yeah. Even with origin, like the, the, the season that you go beyond that is when you learn to live in the ambiguity of love lost and found. Yeah. And I think nature more than anything shows you the ambiguity of love lost and found. And also, right? and also just life lived. Like yeah. you, talk about, you talk about Job and there's that, I can remember this specifically because I posted about it on Instagram of all things. Yeah. But there's that, I forget the line and, and you can probably tell it, tell me, tell me what it was, but there's that, that in Job where his friends sat with him. Yeah. And I can remember Seven there, was days. A, there was a spe- specific night in my life where I was yeah. as dark as I could have been. Yeah. And you and Christy came over and we sat at a fire Yeah, and I, I took a picture of us at the fire and I quoted yeah. that scripture. Yeah. And that's that's a thing that there there are no words to explain yeah. to express it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that being that yeah. being together. Yeah. How could you explain? You can't write yeah. that down, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you can't explain yeah. that what no. that was that the, the all encompassing. Like you knew my story, I knew your story. We knew what we were being at that moment, yeah. and we didn't. I don't think we said much of anything that night. I just no, remember us sitting. There was nothing being. to say. And I remember you asked Christy to give you a hug. Yeah, exactly. And it just was. It just was. Yeah. I, I <laughs> Origin, my favorite book that Origin writes, he writes like basically the first book of, of Christian theology, which theology then was not what it is now. It was like mystical reflection. Okay. And um, at the end, he says, just remember like the real things come by simple apprehension. Mm. They don't come by thought. Yeah. The real things you can't know. You just live. Right. Right? right. Yeah. Um, and all yeah. this is just play. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's what I like about the reality of the force, the imminence of it. Yeah, that it is something in you know. Unfortunately, I don't I don't like what George Lucas did in the 
in the in the prequels where he turned it into midichlorians and all this shit. Right, but the right. idea that it's something it's in your cells, it's in your bones. Right. Uh, the most supernatural thing is the natural. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. No, it is interesting that he took it that way. Where he took it from something that he almost took it too literally, right? Yeah, he when, literalized when, when, his own idea. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring science into it. He's trying to trying to make it right. You know, right. more in his own way, making it more mystical. But it just sort of didn't yeah, didn't yeah. quite work. Yeah. yeah. So talk yeah. to me about. True religion, True religion versus, versus empire. empire. Cause, cause this is the thing that when you mentioned this to me, totally changed my viewing <laughs> this okay. time around. Let's, let's riff right where we are. So Obi-Wan Kenobi is this old monk hermit living in the desert. And we talk about, oh, it's kind of like, he's like a samurai. Well, no, actually this is actually an extremely Christian image. Um, I don't, I, I'm pretty sh- like, there's a part of me that's like, did George Lucas know this? It's so on the nose. Um, exactly sort of what we're talking about, this, this idea of the, the eminence of, of li- their lived reality of spirituality, right? right? Um, the, way that, the way that Jesus taught it, the way that Lao Tzu teaches it, the way that Zen teaches it. Like, what is, what is the most mystical experience and the most deep religious practice in Zen is simply like following your breath. Right. <laughs> it's, that, it's that simple. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless. An actual better translation of that is the, the Hebrew word is vapor. And everything is just breath. It's all right. just breath. Right. Right? There's a time to live. There's a time to die. The sun rises. The sun sets. Everything, there's a season. It's all just breath. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is, you know, Christianity comes along and um, we'll just use Christianity as an example because it's mm-hmm. the one that I know so well. And it it sort of spreads as this grassroots movement and they're taking care of women and they're taking care of slaves and they're taking care of widows and orphans and and they're doing something that you know in this sort of roman top-down society where you have the powerful elite and the intellectual elite and the commoners they're they're inverting the whole thing right and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads and then it really um people like origin my guy you know in the in this late second early third century they um they're teaching this genius level mystical philosophy that you can that literally holds up against zen and taoism and, mm-hmm. and and greek philosophy and it's, it's brilliant it's brilliant of this idea of the logos and the christ like permeating all creation and and coming out of it um and and uh, it's just it's absolutely gorgeous and right around that time um the uh roman empire uh the roman emperor constantine uh, converts to Christianity and supposedly has like a, I don't remember, he has like a vision of the cross in the sky or something. And it says, go forth and conquer by this, right? <laughs> the, the, the religion, the religion of the pacifist leader who talks about, you know, like uh, yeah, yeah. laying down your life for your neighbor. And if someone strikes, you turn the other cheek. Suddenly you have the Roman <laughs> emperor being told to go forth and conquer by the cross. Right. And it's, it's um you know, people would debate whether or not the, the conversion is real. Um, I am a skeptic, right but I have, plenty of friends who would say that it was very real. But the moral of the story is um, within a generation or two, Christianity is a movement that is such a threat to the empire because it's such a different way of thinking, right? right? And this whole thing is built on privilege and elitism and status and power. And the Christians just don't give a shit. They're like, right. no, what you think is fucking important is not important. We're like living a whole different way. Right. And it starts to upend the empire. And so, so what empire always does to the thing that threatens it is to co-opt it and enlist it. Mm-hmm. And so Christianity becomes legalized 
it is the religion practiced by the emperor, then it eventually becomes the religion of the empire. Right. And when the Christianity becomes the religion of the empire, the empire really starts to meddle with Christianity. Right. And then the church starts to organize. It goes from a lot of a lot of different churches and a lot of different types of Christianity and open dialogue with each other, and then the church starts to become imperial, and the structure of the church starts to match the structure of the empire. Um, my my great mystic that I love, Origin of Alexandria, for for two hundred years is the single most important figure in the Christian movement. He he. Uh, you know, he was he taught universal salvation. His whole belief was that there was an arc of love and healing that was working through the entire universe to to bring all things to their potential, uh, and that we ourselves should cooperate with that. Ergo, we should love our friends and neighbors and work right. to make the world a better place. And then, um, two hundred years after his death, you know, one of the Roman emperors interferes in a in a um, a council and and forges documents to have him condemned and they burn all his books, right? right. And mm-hmm. try to stomp out his form of Christianity because of course we don't want a Christianity that loves all people. Right. Right. We want a Christianity that divides people into saints and sinners so we know who's on our side and who's not because right. if you're worried about going to hell and you're you're worried about trying to be the right person as opposed to the wrong person, you're easier to manipulate. Right. Um, in between these two things, as Christianity starts to become the imperial religion, there's a group of people who decide that they don't want anything to do with it. And so they leave the cities and they head out into the desert. They are now commonly known as the desert fathers and mothers. And they literally are like, screw this shit, we're out. We're going to go out into the desert to be with God in nature and to pursue spiritual practice and to flee the corruption of the empire. And they are these crazy... monks (laughs) monks <laughs> and hermits and these crazy wizards that just live on their own in the desert and you yeah. can read thomas merton in the last century there's a great book he wrote called the wisdom of the desert my favorite book of all time is a book called the solace of fierce landscapes which talks a little bit about this and also the wisdom in nature and, and christian theology um but they we have these sort of they're not theologians. They don't preach sermons. They have these funny, like wise, pithy sayings, these like wisdom parables. It's a lot like reading the Tao Te Ching. Uh, yeah. It's a lot like reading Zen philosophy. And they just, for several hundred years, live out in the desert practicing a different kind of religion, which we would now describe as a different kind of religion. What they believed, and I believe, was them practicing the actual truth of the tradition. Right out of the confines of the corruption of empire. Yeah. You know, one of my, you know, one of my, my teachers right now, Richard Rohr, who's also my boss, um, <laughs> talks about what he calls the alternative orthodoxy. And he said, there's always been an alternative stream in Christianity that is not a slave to empire. That is not, you know, there's, you have the Christianity, the crusades, and then you have the Christianity of like the desert fathers and mothers. You have the Christianity of St. Francis who like goes to the crusades and crosses lines to the to the like the muslim army so he can go and talk to their commander and have like these beautiful ecumenical conversations about spirituality. Right. Um that's always existed. It's always been Brian McLaren says it this way. It's always been sort of a minority report. Mm. Um because empires always co-opting. And it's not just Christianity that does that. You and I have, have talked about how like uh 
you know, corporate corporate America has grabbed the mindfulness movement right, and right. turned that into a tool. Yeah. Um, the the beautiful practice and philosophy of yoga very quickly gets turned into a business. There's there's no good thing spiritually that cannot be co-opted right. by by empire and economics. But but the true flame is always burning somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. There's always some literal or metaphorical true expression living out in the desert. Right. Whether it's Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu, you know, one of my favorites of all time, he was supposedly the custodian of, of, of I think, the Royal Library. And he was sort of uh, in opposition to Confucianism because he thought Confucianism had become too rote and legalistic mm. and was in the service of empire. Mm. So he's like, screw this, I'm out. Wow. And as he hops on a water buffalo and he's leaving civilization... And as he's leaving civilization, I think it's the Hanko Pass, he comes to this last gate and there's a guard there and he says, why are you leaving? We need you. We need your wisdom. And he says, you know, this is lost. I'm leaving. Wow. He's going to practice the true philosophy in the wilderness. And he says, will you please at least leave us a written record of your philosophy? And so he sits down. I don't remember the story. I think it's in three days. He composes the Tao Te Ching mm. and he leaves it with a guy and he goes wow. out into the wilderness. Hmm. Right? So this this idea of the mystic living in the forest or living in the desert, practicing the true spirituality, which, by the way, is intrinsically connected to the forest or the desert, because that's part of what the wisdom bubbles up right, from. Right, yeah. And even for me as a true believer, that's where God expresses right. the deepest truth, right? Yep. The, mm. the early Christians referred to nature as the first Bible and the first mm. scripture. Mm. Um, that's, that's the true religion, yeah. Uh, and so when I when I see you know when I knowing about the desert fathers and mothers when I watch Star Wars I'm like that's 100 percent what Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi is or they would take like a Vagrius one of my favorite I think one of the greatest mystical geniuses of all time another one he sort of was was um, you know in a prominent city and he kind of you know was a little bit arrogant and got himself in trouble and he went and apprenticed himself to uh, I think Macrina who was this this um, woman the beautiful brilliant christian teacher and she basically said like you need to go out man mm. you need to get away from this because um the temptation to work the system is going to destroy you you need to get out away from all of it so you can learn the real thing um it's interesting and then and then also like i mean one of his teachers i think it was macrina one of his spiritual masters says to him at one point speak only when you're spoken to uh, you know, learn to be quiet. You don't always need to have the last word. And so, again, also even this idea of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jedi Knight, heads out into the desert and lives alone for decades. Yeah. With the Force. It's something just struck me that's that's interesting that it, maybe, I don't know, maybe it goes somewhere where maybe it doesn't. But it's interesting to me that in the Star Wars myth, yeah. you've got... Obi-Wan being a true believer, quote unquote, yes. going into the desert yeah, because he believes so much, yeah. right? Getting away from yeah. Empire, going yeah. into the desert. Yep. On the flip side, later in the story, we have Luke who goes away. Yeah. But sort of for the opposite reason. And I would say yeah. he's almost a deconstructionist. Yeah. He's lost faith. <laughs> yeah. And he goes away <laughs> into the an island, but into the desert, right? Oh, yeah, in the later movies, yeah. Right. To to become, like, to sort of deconstruct his faith and comes yeah. eventually comes around. Which brings him full circle. Right. Because that's yeah. the way it goes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, 
There's that. Well, and that's that's the sort of uh, the value in emptiness, right? That's something that, that Tao Te Ching talks a lot about. They say that the the useful part of the cup is the empty part, right? And there's this there is this part of notion of it's not until we lose our beliefs that we really have them. That right. we, we once like the the mental constructs we have sort of need to fall apart so we can get to the lived experience of the reality of it, right? Um, which I think. You know, is uh, hang on one sec, cat. I need you off the keyboard because you can't press a button to stop the recording. Thanks, buddy. Um, somehow he's also moving the camera. <laughs> I don't yeah, know how he's, he's doing he's that. He's just you know he's just one with the force and he's just <laughs> screwing stuff from. Um, yeah, but but this idea again, I love it. Like again, when you watch it again, Obi Wan is like teaching him the true ways of the force, and and Vader is the expression of like force co opted by Empire, Jedi co opted by Empire. Um, and they try to stomp out like Obi Wan's the last one, and I, and I not. couldn't help because because you had sort of put this seed in my mind that I hadn't really ever yeah. thought about. I couldn't help but see this from the perspective of or, or from the analogy of like modern religion. You know, yeah, Albus, look at you. What are you Albus doing? Albus is just looking. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, um, it's all good. But I, I couldn't help but see like make this analogous to yeah modern religion and and again seeing darth vader as you know pick your uh corrupted uh mega pastor that has been you know brought down lately by some scandal or whatever yeah um and and the interesting thing to me that that like started coming through i mean there was a bunch of stuff like the the, the whole story like was just so it was actually a fun ride, so I, I thank you for giving me this little yeah. seed of, of of insight into yeah. watching the movie this way because it was it was actually a pretty fun ride. And and one of the things that, that sort of struck me, and it's and it's a thing that I I have a I have a sort of an ongoing conversation with a friend of mine that I can never seem to quite articulate well enough for them to understand yeah. is it's not that Darth Vader necessarily abandoned his faith and was just trying to hoodwink people and be an asshole for the sake of being an asshole. He still believed like he still, yeah. like he still oh. believed, you know what I mean? I and find I think, your lack of faith disturbing. Exactly. I, love that. I, I literally wrote scenes. that down. Yep. I literally wrote that down because he believes just as hard as Obi-Wan does. Yes, he does. He just believes he, it's just that he's been unfortunately misguided. And unfortunately, I think the, the the one of the biggest parts of this is hubris has come into play, where yeah. he's become so full of like I am the one that can like make this reality, yeah, that he's lost the way. And the yeah. funny thing is, so the, the the argument I sort of have with with a buddy of mine, which is my buddy seems to sort of always says like, oh, like all big mega pastors are just shysters and they're trying to get your money and they're trying to do. And I said, and, I, and what I always say is, no, I, I think they actually believe. They do. They they, they legitimately do, believe, yeah. and I'm not saying yeah. that. Of course, there are shysters and there are people that sure. are doing it, but I think the vast majority of them truly 100% believe, but they've been corrupted and hubris yeah. has taken over, and yeah. they think that they have the answer, even though they've it's they've taken a turn that's completely 180 degrees in the way they've supposed well, to go. Yeah, and we all sort of believe our own. Li- even Obi Wan, you know, every time I watch Star Wars, I'm like, I wonder if George Lucas always had the plan to make Darth Vader Luke's father. Cause it's, it's not in the first movie. Right. Um, and, but the way Alec Guinness delivers that line where he says, what happened to my father? And he's like, Oh man, how am I going to yeah. answer this one? Like, <laughs> like, Oh man, I don't know. Is he lying? But it, but it's, he must have, because he gives it in him. It, it's pretty ambiguous the way he yeah. delivers that line. 
Yeah, he says, yeah, I, a, a, I agree. A, a young Jedi who was a pupil of mine, until right, they right, right. Darth Vader. Yeah. Help the Emperor just hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knight. And you almost feel, and now maybe it's hindsight, maybe it's because we know what we know, but mm-hmm. at the end of it, you feel like he realizes he's almost in a trap and he has to lie a little bit <laughs> yep. to, yeah. to make the story play yeah. out, right? Yeah. For Luke. Yeah, but it's interesting, like the, you know, the, the story goes that in the, you know, in the early centuries, they were like feeding Christians to lions and persecuting them. And then, and then Christianity became legal and that stopped, but they never stopped persecuting these types of Christians. Right. Like the Christians who were, who were, who were like not falling into the imperial notion right. and the, the, the imperial Christianity always has like losers and winners. Right, right. People going to hell, people going to heaven, right? Yeah, As yeah. opposed to the more universalist <laughs> bent of these folks. And, uh, you know, and then there's, and then I'll tell you what you need to do to be a winner, to be part of our exclusive club. Mm. And it, it usually involves falling in line and goose stepping with us. Um, so it is, it is interesting because the other thing is Obi-Wan does not only does he not get co-opted by empire but he does not resort i love this thing like i said this theologian says love conquers power precisely by the fact that love does not resort to power right and so luke does it in in return of the jedi but obi-wan does it in this movie how does obi-wan ultimately defeat darth vader by giving up by giving up yeah yeah. yeah, and then this thing of like if you strike me down i'll be more powerful than you can possibly imagine it's a different kind of a power yeah it's a different kind of a victory. And, and, and this is what I love about it is that that true flame of real authentic religion and real authentic spirituality is never snuffed out. It's always burning somewhere. Hmm. Um, and every time you think it's out, it catches somewhere else. Yeah. Carl Jung says that, that institutional religion exists to protect us from an experience of God. <laughs> and I would say that's more true of like imperial religion. But, but there is... While there's always something domesticating it, there's always that that uh, true yeah. expression, and very often, uh, you know, per what you said, you know, connected to the natural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally, I totally wrote that. Um, I find your lack of faith disturbing, yeah. because to me that resonated. Like again, watching it through that lens, man, oh man, did Dude. that did that strike up some resonances in me of you know again going back to even like what we talked about before uh, in in previous episodes of like uh don't lose your anointing you know what i mean yeah. like uh you know the way i see this religion is the right way yeah and if you don't see it that way you know you're you're wrong and you're you're a horrible yeah. person yeah you know and it's I think even about our buddy Eric, right? In his his whatever, I, I you you Eric and I the one the the podcast episodes we did together were fun because we talked about how all three of us have very different beliefs on, on right. everything. But I think about Eric still sort of not quite in the evangelical world, but sort right. of in that universe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe I don't know if he won't want to be called a progressive evangelical, but whatever he is. Right. And I think about him and some of his colleagues, where like his thing is he's he's leading this faith community. He's really trying to live it in a way that he really think reflects the values of the gospel right. and Christ as, as he understands it. And what that has meant for him is not falling into the trap of trying to become as big and wealthy as humanly possible, right. yeah. which seems to drive most evangelical Christianity is bigger is better. Right. Um, exactly. Brighter is better. Yeah. And I've always appreciated how Eric, you know, tries tries to to be again a minority report, an alternative kind of community, even in that in that world. Um yeah. And then I, you know, 
And unfortunately, think, that just means he's going to be driving around the crappy X-Wings for all eternity. He won't right, have a shiny yeah, yeah, Death yeah. Star. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, I love this notion of, of, you know, these two things that you see in the movie is like that, again, you don't know who's out there uh, practicing, the, who's, who's out there just being the real thing quietly and humbly in their own space, keeping right. that flame alive. Right. And also, there's an act of rebellion. Right. And that's where the sort of prophetic speaking truth to power yeah, yeah, comes yeah. in, where there's yep. like other people who are like, no, I'm going to step into the front lines. And even if you kill me, yeah. I'm going to be the one to say like, we're not going to buy your bullshit. This is what this is really about. Right. Uh, you know, and again, we, listen, I'll, I'll throw this in too. Uh, we see it right now, not in our universe, but like in the in the Eastern Orthodox world right now, the Russian church is taking a ton of flack for supporting Putin's war in the Ukraine. Oh. Okay. And the institutional church is in full support of the oh, war. Wow. And yeah. And then, of, of course, the other parts of the Eastern Orthodox world are violently critical of that. Um, wow. And in the, in the Eastern Orthodox world, there's always been that tension between mysticism and empire. Russian, Russian Christianity uh, that's given us Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and the way of the pilgrim and, and Seraphim like, is some of the most beautiful and exquisite mystical Christianity of all time. And, and the institutional church at one point was in, was, you know, supporting the Soviet union and, yeah. and, and now supporting this, like it's, there's that tension always exists and not just in Christianity, you can find it in every, in every major world religion and, you know, for all you and I talk about deconstructing evangelicalism, I have very close friends who've deconstructed a lot of other spiritual systems right. because anything can be co-opted anything by empire. Be, yeah. Because Especially, I mean, if you talk about that specific situation, we're talking about propaganda that that is infiltrating the entire country and obviously mm -hmm. they can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. This is a dumb, dumb question, but... Yeah. Do you do you know where where does the where's the Obi Wan story gonna pick up in the timeline? Uh, oh, I do know. Uh, so the Obi Wan stories basically uh, the prequels end twenty years, eighteen years before A New Hope, and Obi Wan's gonna be right in the middle. Okay. So I believe I feel like it's ten years out, ten from, years before from the um, original. I think so. Or from the yeah. prequels. Yeah, I feel like I feel like. Like essentially, Luke is like ten years old. I might be wrong, but I think okay. that's where it is. Um, and what's going to be really cool is it's going to bring in elements of the prequels. It's going to bring in elements of the original trilogy. It's going to bring in elements of the of the animated stuff. Um, I I, I can't no, wait. That's the one thing in the Star Wars universe I've never touched is the animated stuff. I can give you like the. I mean, you you see characters in live action that were in animated stuff in the, right. in the trailer. The trailer looks so cool for the Obi-Wan show. Yeah. Um, because it actually looks like it's going to, it's going to be in the sweet spot of bringing all those things together, yeah. but really showing you him as the desert hermit well, that, while all this stuff ask, is going hopefully on. Hopefully yeah. we're in that. I mean, obviously where else can yeah. it be? I mean, unless it was yeah. before the prequels, which doesn't yeah. make much sense, but. Yeah, man. And it's sort of like, I mentioned this guy of Agrius. He was like one of the most brilliant theological minds of all time. And he was, you know, an up and comer in this particular city and like moving and grooving with all the right people. And then he ends up just living out in the desert, <laughs> just studying and writing and, and praying, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that, that it's something very Jesus-y about that. I'm just going to say. Right. There's something very Jesus-y about that. Um, and definitely something very, very zen about it. Yeah, yeah I, I think we'll see a bit of that with Obi-Wan. I'm, I'm very excited for that show. I think it's going to be super rad. Uh, and I think it's, again, a great send-up to how great his character is in this movie. 
Right. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it should be good. Did, did we, we do it? it? <laughs> I think we did. I think we I did think it. it was good, right? Yeah, I think so. I think we touched think, a lot of bases here. Yeah, I think it's it's a fun thing. Um, I, I really appreciated your... Um, yeah, man, I appreciate your take on nature. I, I dig... I dig that. That sounds very nourishing and very real and a good way to appreciate the best parts of being alive. Yeah. And I think, um, well, for me, the the good thing about it is that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. But I'm also, because of the experiences I've had, who knows what my view on the world will be tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and and it's all okay with me. Yeah. And especially when I have folks like you in my life where I can have these conversations and, you know, it just, uh, expands ideas and you know yeah man i appreciate that yeah yeah it's so. fun well I, I you know i'm trying to be i'm trying to be the obi-wan kenobi <laughs> desert i'm I'm just i'm just trying to be no actually i'm probably more a part of the rebellion because i'm a part of an organization and institution at this point but like yeah, yeah. just want to just want to try to practice <laughs> the real thing despite the fact that empire seems to have co-opted and conquered most of it I just want to keep keep the flame the flame burning and that's, and I was going to say that, yeah. And you bring up a good point there because that it's funny because that's like an honorable thing, right? Like, yeah, like true things that are corrupted don't stop being true. Right. Yeah. yeah. And those folks that choose to like go deep despite. Yeah. Like I would say right now, the Christian church is pretty, um, pretty bad taste in most people's mouths. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially with yeah. all the corruption and sex scandals and i mean yeah. you go to the catholic church you got the yeah. the priest scandals and then you got the evangelical church with money and yeah. infidelity and but to but to choose to go oh, down deeper yeah. yeah exactly i mean yeah you're right yeah and and again like i said i think sort of the there's there's you know a part of it that's like well yeah what do you expect it's it's been corrupted by empire you know it's it's more about capitalism than it is right. about christianity and christ or if it's if it becomes more about america than it becomes about agape like we're right. of course right um but like you said yeah i appreciate you saying that you know the the great efforts to co-opt it almost prove the merit of the real thing even as much as the real thing is is a very dangerous threat to dominance culture right um and again this is where like there's so many of us i think people that i'm conversant with that are like kind of believe and want to live the best of it and they're like can i even call myself a christian anymore is that title is that word ruined um and you know i mean jesus never used the term so i I, you know there's there's so much there's that's a whole conversation that's a whole conversation in of itself brian mclaren's next book is called do i stay christian and it's and it's uh section one is no section two is yes and section three is how um and it's quite good um is that the yeah. one that you are quoted in? Uh, I am in a footnote in that, yes. Okay. <laughs> and it's it's because he quotes Origin, and in the footnote, he thanks uh, me for introducing uh, okay, okay, okay. the Origin quote to him. And the quote is, uh, you know, follow follow the Logos wherever it, it leads you. Um, follow divine wisdom, the wisdom <laughs> implicit in, in, in nature and live reality wherever it takes you. So, yeah, but it, it's tough, man. It's a tough, you know... Like I said, to also to know like when to stay in the desert and just humbly do your practice and when to join the rebellion. Right. And sort well, of publicly fight back. Well, I was going to say, even when I was 
first starting like my deconstruction stuff, there was a movement, and, and I don't know, if, I'm sure it's still going on, um, of people that were saying like, can I call myself Christian, whatever, and they mm -hmm. were saying, oh, I'm a Christ follower. Sure. Right? And like it's, and this is where I, for me, mm -hmm. the mental effort to do the gymnastics of, yeah. of like oh, the semantics of all that, it's yeah. not even worth it. Like just yeah. bow out, like get away. Yeah. But for somebody yeah. like you, I think it is like you're, obviously invested in that and you're trying to find like what is it what yeah, is the sure. right word for that am i an originist am i a contemplative christian i'll just, right, I'll right, just right. use the term because i think i think i actually piss off most of my christian friends when i refer to <laughs> myself as a christian or, or, or my mainstream right christian right. friends my mainstream christian friends because i think they don't see me that way anymore exactly for a long time now right and yet right. i feel closer to christ than i ever have been you know what i mean like okay. literally yeah no, literally I, I feel like i'm i feel like i'm deeper in the mystery yeah. of what Jesus taught and what Christ is. And if I was um, comfortable with that language, that's what I would say. I mean, I, I yeah. feel that even though I don't yeah. you choose to use that language, that's yeah. what I feel too. And I, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, so man. here we are. Uh, hopefully neither one of us gets cut down by Darth Vader, but you know, you never know. <laughs> and become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed that take on it because I really, no, I was, really... Uh, Totally enjoyable to watch yeah. it that way. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. But it's and, always and I, great to talk to you. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think uh, obviously we should probably try to revisit the other movies in the trilogy Dude, at some point. I would, I would Space love to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. Right. Because again, you know, uh, The Empire Strikes Back goes real deep with that second beat of the story, the, the, the death that precedes resurrection the underworld, the belly of the whale, right. the fact that what we, what we see in this one with Ben Kenobi like sacrificing himself is sometimes the way to win is to lose. Right. Um, uh, you know, even the, the um, yeah, the, the, one of my favorite verses of the Tao Te Ching is the true leader leads people without them being, without them realizing they're being led. Mm. They roll up their sleeves and accomplish a task and say, we did it ourselves. And that's that sort of like, um, or even the notion of like knowing that I've played my part and now I pass it on to the next generation. I think about, uh, you know, like Richard, you know, is one of my great teachers and he's like 79. He's worked his whole life to make the world a better place. And he's watched COVID yeah. and racism and war and right. Trump run rampant the last few years. And I say to him, like, how do you feel about that? You know? Yeah. And it's that thing of like, you do your part and then you pass it on right. to the next generation. Um, and that again, that like, you you don't you don't conquer by asserting yourself. Like Jesus, it's that that thing of kenosis. Anyway, I digress. I'm gonna stop. The moral <laughs> of the story is the second one goes super deep into that and the kind of like dark night of the soul and and the value of defeat. Right. Um, and uh, and also Yoda, man. Yeah. <laughs> like the best description of the Force and the best character in the whole story. Yeah. Like let's 100. Let's come back at some yeah, point and do totally. Empire Strikes Back. I think it would be a good one to touch back into here and there over the next year. Yeah. We'll yeah. Why the middle part of a trilogy is always the best. And yeah. 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 For we'll sure, see. man. All right, buddy. I think we did it. Dude, we did. This is always a blast. I always enjoy talking to you so much. Yeah, um, I hear, I hear we got something fun in the works for our next episode, which I'm pretty excited about. Fingers crossed. We might have a new guest. And I'm nice. uh, pretty stoked on this guest because they are an, uh, 
they are in the film industry uh, yeah. in, in some capacity and they have some knowledge about some stuff and I'm yeah. pretty stoked to talk to them. Uh, um, I'm pretty excited to learn. Yeah. So um, anyway, thanks so much for listening, everybody. As always, visit us on Instagram at CinemartyrPod. Send us suggestions for movies to watch. You know, we're yeah. always looking for, for new stuff. Um, and we will uh, catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. See you later, y'all. Be good.